The Protect Your Neck Podcast. UFC 295 Breakdown with special guest co-host Luca Fury. Picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. Salt and pepper and heavy tea up in the limousine. Hanging pictures on my wall. Every Saturday, rap attack, Mr. Magic Molly Mall. I let my tape rock till my tape pop. Smoking weed and bamboo, sipping on props. Not way back when I had the red and black lumberjack with the hat to back. Remember rapping dude, the hard, the hard. You never thought that hip hop would take it this far. Now I'm in the limelight cause I rhyme tight. Time to get paid, blow up like the world trade. Born sinner, the opposite of a winner. Remember when I used to eat sardines for dinner? Peace to Ron G, Brucey B, Kid Capri. Fuck Master Flex, love Bug Star Ski. I'm blowing up like you thought I would. Call the crib, same number, same hood. It's all good. What is up, my friends? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and while I'm your host, Dan Tom, analyst is working to find over at MMA Junkie as well as Action Network, and this year's program, we break down high-level MMA, and that's what we're going to do here today, tonight. Whenever you're listening to this, hopefully it's for the fight, recording this on the usual time and place, Thursday night on my YouTube channel, Daniel Tom MMA, like and subscribe. Of course, this will go on the iTunes, five-star ratings and reviews, and since this is a pay-per-view, we are back for the pay-per-view, UFC 295, that's right, folks. I got to bring on a co-host, uh, usually someone from the gambling space who kind of knows what they're talking about, especially to, you know, uh, help help my ass along. Uh, but no, honestly, you know, uh, all bullshit, self-deprecating stuff aside, uh, this is one of the most successful MMA uh, professional gamblers really in the space. I'm bringing back on, we've had him out here before, got to bring him back, man. My man Luca Fury, at Luca Fury on the artist formerly known as Twitter. Luca, say what's up and tell the people where they can find you before we start here. Well, glad to be here as always. It's always fun to uh, join another sharp analyst to talk some fights. You and I always have some very good in-depth conversations both on and off air about MMA. So definitely looking forward to this one. And as you mentioned, uh, Twitter, usual social media places. I'm Luca Fury on most things, Fury's fight picks on a couple of things. And of course, I do have my Patreon page where I do all my uh, usual content, but I also do some free content as well on those social media pages. I upload some full video breakdowns and podcasts and stuff on social media. So even if people don't want to do any kind of subscription service or anything totally understand i still do provide a decent amount of free content as well yeah man uh, i've been seeing you kicking butt over there not just with the visuals with your background and, and doing all that work uh but you know the content grind is a real grind we're all different we have our different styles of betting we have different styles of fighters we like and if you're a content creator uh, we all have our different styles there but uh luca just to you know even though everybody knows you know uh I, I, i'm not on that same level i don't have that same style but I've been watching you for a while, man, and a lot of people have been watching you. There's a lot of uh, people who have tried to mimic Luca in the space the years to come. We've talked <laughs> about that before, and and mimic his style. It's fine, man. You you were successful for a reason, right? And uh, not saying you know this is you, and, I, and I'm I'm building up to a, a genuine compliment that I want to pay you here. I, I didn't even say this off air. I wanted to give this one to you but like uh you'll see a lot of guys like you know uh you know play with the numbers or whatever or you know they'll be like oh you know you, you know and ufc will do this in their broadcast like he's once you know he he's seven in his last 12 because they don't want to tell you he's lost five straight or something you know or whatever mm-hmm. like those things and then there's like oh well there's the other which is fine and again we, we we spoke about that and the fact that when you do have playable chalk it's not necessarily a bad thing i know i'm a big plus money you know whore over here 
But speaking of plus money, man, um, I've been following you for a minute, and not only have you been doing your winning ways over there, but it, I keep seeing you hit all these plus numbers, man. So I, I just wanted to give you – we're a big fan of plus money here on the Protecting Nick podcast. So I just wanted to give you a hand on that, man. And uh, am I just seeing things, or have you been just – have you have you both been uh, – have you just been hitting more plus numbers lately, seeking more, a little bit of both? Uh, what's been going on, man? Uh, well, so yeah, for historically speaking, I do bet some underdogs myself, but uh, statistically speaking, um, the majority of my bets do tend to be favorites. So in order to balance that out a bit, I wanted to actually bring on another handicapper to the site who is the total opposite. And so I brought on Liam, who I'm sure your audience is familiar with, uh, Liam Heslin, uh, Liam Picks Fights. And uh, he basically exclusively bets underdogs. He bets favorites sometimes, but it provides a nice balance to the site then as I, again, I do bet underdogs sometimes and he bets favorites sometimes, but for whatever reason, we tend to be veered towards those sides individually. And for whatever reason, we both tend to have about the same ROI on them. So it does go to show that whether you're betting shock or underdogs, you can still profit very nicely on both of them. It just happens to be that some people have an eye that's better for one or the other, just like some people have a better eye for totals. Some people have a better eye for props, just like some people have a better eye for other sports than MMA. So MMA is uh, an interesting beast in terms of the betting market where it's not really a you know, kind of a one size fits all type of thing. You know, as you said, some people have definitely tried to mimic me and I, you know, I don't find any, you know, I don't find that to be insulting or anything. You know, I'm, I encourage people actually to copy me. That's why I do a lot of educational content and stuff, try to inform people on the ways of betting. But I would also encourage people to try to branch out and try some of their own things because, again, there is not just one way to approach this. There are certainly some different ways you can attack it, just like an MMA fighter. There's not just one style that we know. Okay, if you're this style, you win every fight. No, some fighters are better at grappling, some are better at striking, some are better at wrestling, et cetera, et cetera. So I encourage people to definitely learn from the resources that are out there, but also try to find what your specific niche is way to tie it in man and see i'm not just speaking out of my ass here this you know uh, j judging things by styles context uh not just hating not just broad brushing it serves you well in a lot of forms of life including this game and uh man this is a, a fun game as for usual we got matt Polly in the house thank you thursday night with dan tom let's go baby we got mark fellows in the house he says pump for las vegas formula one grand prix oh wait sorry wrong youtube channel it's okay uh, we, we definitely, I'm sure me and Luca have, have, have dealt with uh, traffic here and there, uh, with that. Um, Hey, here's another show that, uh, mutual I think, friends I think of Mark ours tweets at us on, uh, Instagram, on uh, Twitter. I think he tweets at us at like, uh, I think it's the same guy he tweets at like us and John Morgan and stuff. Talks yeah. about Frosty beverages. Yeah. Isn't that him? I think it's yeah. the same guy. He, he's one of the, the, the like MVPs of MMA Twitter. Good. Yeah. Uh, really yeah. good dude. Uh, chronic combat conversations. Dan and Luca, what a combo. You guys should know you guys have had him on your show. You, you guys know what's up. <laughs> Um, I appreciate those guys too. Uh, those guys are yeah, uh, just on there recently. Awesome. I always love being on their show too. Absolutely. Yep. Thank you guys for the chat. Make sure you hit the like button. Of course, Dan, Tom, MMA on YouTube. If you're listening in the future, future, future on iTunes, five stars, ratings and reviews greatly appreciated. I'm actually overdue to give you guys a uh, review re reading for the recent reviews that came in to give you guys love for the positive and uh, as well as the click throughs. Of course, this, uh, this year free program. Uh, is hosted by my website, MixedMarshallAnalyst.com, where you can find click-throughs for Amazon or on it if you click through those. Uh, not on it, but Amazon gives me like a list, not of your personal information or bank cards, just of what is bought so I can kind of pontificate. I'm not going to be doing either of those today. Uh, we really want to focus on the show, but that is where you can go if you want to straight up, as Teddy KGB would say, or if you find me on social platforms at my name tag, you see at Luca Fury over there, me over here, at Dan Tom MMA, you'll see in my link tree uh, secure PayPal donations, which are also uh, on the same site, uh, home site, my site, host site, 
MixedMartialAnalyst.com. Those are the ways you can support. If you want to, you don't have to. I'm just happy you're here, and we're going to uh, talk fights, do a quick, quick, quick recap because I, I was off, and I just want to get to the UFC 295 of UFC Sao Paulo just because there's probably some interesting talking points that'll generate some interesting discussion uh, with me and Luca, uh, as will the breakdown, which we will then go to for UFC 295. Of course, the usual format, we're going to go from top to bottom, and then we'll recap all the picks and plays at the very end. We'll get to you guys where we can. Uh, you know, Super Chat people will get first priority, but as you guys know, there is no um, exclusivity here. I try to get it to all you guys. So uh, let's party. Um so yeah, I'm actually even gonna and the episodes when like schedule and life happens where I miss a recap, Luca. They're always on winning weeks, so I haven't mm -hmm. recapped since my last week, which was a winning week, and that was UFC 294. So I'm just gonna say that was a winning week, yay me, and we'll move on. Uh, UFC Sao Paulo, I was off, um, but I will give full disclosure because I did watch some, not all, some of the fights live, and I did place bets as a fan, which was fun for once. But it was such a volatile card, and I was so busy, I wouldn't even have had time to post if I wanted to for funsies, even with the proper disclaimers. But even with the proper disclaimers, as you know, Luca, you can, you know, uh, give the proper disclaimers all you want. People are going to be like, you're making excuses. You're talking both sides. You're feathering the nest for a fall. You know, I'm like, you know what? I'm not even going to deal with that. Let me just actually be a fan this week and just do my own thing. But as you guys know, uh, I'll come clean to tell you what I, uh, I, frustra I frustratingly threw some ducats on untracked so even if i did win uh, i wasn't getting any of the benefits so we're, we're keeping that same energy here luca feel free to say what you want but uh just just the main event just to start real quick jilton almeida Derek lewis uh the only thing i saw on this fight was like i'm not a big total guy and boy did this make me not a total guy because i was like why don't you've been priced out of betting jailton almeida why don't you just bet the under of, of some kind of total here and get a little bit of coverage for the off chance Derek Lewis, who I was pretty sure was showing up for a paycheck. If if, if this era of scheduling and UFC scrupulous business unscrupulous business can get a guy like Volkanovski to kind of set aside his legacy and step in for a paycheck, do not be surprised at the fighters that will step in there for a paycheck, folks. Maybe we'll talk about that um, and the UFC 295 main card a little bit. We'll see. But that was kind of my vibes going into it. So I laid a decent chunk um, on the under. And thankfully, I didn't watch this live, Luku. I would have lost my mind. But, uh, but yeah, and, and, and just to, before I throw it back to you, um, I, I go to uh, this house because every, everybody asks me, someone just asked me, like, why do you go to this? I go to, it's, it's, it's just, uh, full disclosure, it's, it's Virgin Virgin Casinos. And I, I know the sportsbook manager, old sportsbook manager, Mandalay Bay, even though he's not in charge of the numbers because uh, he would know better, they post some really weird numbers there, right? And they messed. They must have messed up because they had Jailton Almeida by submission at plus four ten. Luca, that does not make sense. That no, sucks. that did not hit. Wow. I hit, That's... and of course I hit that. I, I actually didn't. I actually hit it responsibly. I only threw like a hundred bucks on it, and I showed some friends, uh, and they were like, "Why? Why don't you go back and throw a thousand on that?" <laughs> like well, they were like, "Throw more, throw more, right?" And I'm like, "No, I'm gonna be responsible. I'm just having fun." I will take the good karma of the number, and I don't want to say good karma because the fight hasn't happened yet. But that is the most probable outcome, and boy, heavyweight MMA, right, Luca? I don't know. Do you want to add to that before we move on from this fight? But I want to only hear your take. Uh, shout out to Jack Slack who had a, a headline that Jelton Almeida shows all ground, no pound in his victory over Derek Lewis. Very, very appropriate headline there. I mean, 
this was a perplexing performance. I understand, you know, when fighters pace themselves, I understand when they measure their performance because they're afraid of gassing. It's a five round fight. I get all that. But to see a fighter get full mount and then literally just blatantly sit there and do nothing was surprising to see at the UFC level, especially in a main event as well. It wasn't again like You'll see fighters, you know, there was a lay and pray term back in the day when like in the early 2000s, a bunch of wrestlers started kind of taking over the sport a bit and they'd basically just take down opponents, didn't really have much jujitsu, didn't even have much ground and pound, weren't really any kind of strikers and they would just lay on top, do nothing and the way the scoring worked is you just kind of automatically win the round that way. Now it's different. You have to actually have some offense and stuff but this was like a throwback to the early 2000 lay and pray where he got on yeah. top and it wasn't like the modern version of lay and pray where it's like the little rabbit punches to the ribs, the short little like hammer fists that are like blocked where it's like they're trying to make it look like they're doing something as the ref is saying work. It's like, OK, look, I'm moving my arm. It's not doing literally any damage at all. But, hey, I'm working right. This yeah. wasn't even that. This was him literally putting both arms on the mat and then just sitting there and staring at, at Derek. As like, are you about to make out with him? Like, what are you doing here? What is going on for minutes? Like you just get mount and then just just sit there with him. So I hate to say, you know, a guy's coming off a bad performance when they're as dominant as they were. But I don't think there's literally any person on earth who walked away after that showing who went, I now think higher of Jilton. I think pretty much every single person walked away going, hmm, I have some concerns about if he's really one of the next big things in this division. Yeah, definitely. And I'll just add this, and because, and, Luca, you you understand this. Like, I hate saying this because us or whatever, it's like, oh, you're, you're sour grapes. You gambled on it, or even if you, even if we didn't gamble on it, right? Um, but I, I have that self-awareness to understand, you know, like that, that, that it comes with the game whether we agree with it or not. We, we both have voiced our frustrations on that, Luca. Uh, and this is kind of like another one of those realms where even, even more so, uh, which is to say, I will say this even less. There's even less of a chance I will say something like this. Even less of a chance I will say this than the R word robbery, right? Which is, you know, any kind of like t word fix or any kind of a James Krause related word, let's just say. <laughs> but this is one of those few times where, and again, I know I just admitted, even though I didn't have to for what it's worth, folks, um, I just admitted to throwing some ducats on the fight. So that's obviously going to taint my opinion, right? <laughs> um, but like, this was one of those few fights where it's like you look at it and like I think it was like round three or something. There was a point where like he was hitting Derek Lewis a little bit and he was like, "Ooh, I almost don't want to hit him too much," you know, like you know, like kind of like when you're cheering, like if you have a round prop and like you know it's in round two, but you've got the fight to end in round three, and you're like, "Yeah, soften him up, cook him, cook him for the finish in mm -hmm. round three. Not too much though, not too much, not too much." And it felt like he was doing that version, and not to go too far down this rabbit hole, but you look at the betting prices, like you were priced out from betting jail to Almeida, unless you really literally bet decision. Um, you know what I'm saying? Or, or an over of some type. And, um, and yeah, like I love Jailton Almeida. He follows me on Twitter. I don't need a guy named Mahadinho knocking on any of my doors, right? Front, back door, any internet door, DM door, nothing. I don't want nothing to do. So I, I understand the danger of throwing this out there. But you just again, you can't help but put it out there. It's a it's a tough economy, right? Uh, and and whether it's a tough economy or not, he comes from a very tough part of the world. And uh, you know, you you've, you've we've seen this in wrestling, right? You hear the stories of Yoel Romero, and certain countries are more prone to be persuaded, right? Whereas other countries are more prone to maybe pay for a, a prodigious title. There's different value systems in different places of the world. Anyways, I couldn't help but like, I'm like, this feels like a fishy one. I, I'll just leave it at that. I'll, I'll leave it at that, Luca. But uh, did you get any, any, any weird I will, I will vibes? 
I will add to that where there's this is, I guess, one of them, too. But there's been multiple performances in the UFC, especially over the last few years. I feel like where I mean, you've watched the sport in and out for many years. I have too. not to be egotistical, but I think it's pretty safe to say that you and I have a pretty good read for when things are out of the ordinary in an MMA fight. And obviously, MMA has a ton of variables. There's obviously wild and wacky nonsense that happens all the time. But there's certain things where you look at it and go, I just can't comprehend why this is going on this was one of them there's been some other ones there was one earlier this year that was a real bad one like this like they kept rocking their opponent and just absolutely refused to go for the finish they would rock them and just back away and let them recover it happened like four times throughout the fight eventually went to a decision now i know it sounds like conspiracy theory tinfoil hat stuff for what it's worth i had nothing on that fight no money or anything like that so no bias here but it did seem a little bit you know Interesting, as I mentioned before, and you have to consider the value of the bets that could be made versus the value that the fighters are actually being paid. There's not that much in terms of sponsorships they get anymore. It's not like the old days where sometimes fighters be like some random Brazil guy making 2020 and he has like some 500k random acai sponsorship or something in Brazil. You don't have that really these days because of the way the UFC works. The sponsorships now, it's kind of like thrown deals with, you know, the venom trunks and that. So fighters can get limited sponsorships outside of the sport, but it's not the same as before. The Contracts for the UFC aren't particularly great. Jailton is not making huge money with the UFC. And think about sports betting, the way it is now proliferated. I'm not even going to try to say the word. It's been way too long of a day for me to try to say that. Um, But he is... He is basically someone who's making a fraction of what you can try to actually get down these days in modern MMA. Uh, There's a variety of books online, in person, in different countries. So if you're a guy, I don't know exactly what he's making. Let's say you got, you know, 50K, 100K, whatever. Well, if him by decision is like plus 500 and he bets, you know, just 10,000 on that, he just matched his, his win bonus with still winning the fight. So, again, am I saying that Almeida went out and did that or some of these other fighters? No, but you have to think the temptation absolutely has to be there. It's basically like if someone said to you and me, like, hey, you guys, for whatever reason, you do your exact same job that you're going to do this week, and I'm just going to give you an extra 50K for no reason. Just do your job that you're already going to do. Go out there, win your bets and everything. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to throw you a 50K bonus. You're like, well, what's the catch? It's like, okay, we well, got to do a little shady illegal thing. It's like some people are going to take that option. Absolutely. And that's something else to think about uh, before we move on for uh, people who complain, whether it's at media people or anybody who talk about fighter pay. Like, no, this actually helps the quality and integrity. Two different things, quality and integrity of the sport. It actually helps it. And that's why people hate uh, win show bonuses, because that also puts a firm ceiling on the pay structure, which, you know, projects these things that we're talking, you know, influences these things that we're talking about here, which is ironic because that whole show win thing. And, you know, uh, get your win bonus thing is supposed to, according to the promoter's terms, incentivize more. I think it incentivizes people to f- play it safe and not yep. actually yeah. go out there and be exciting. What they should do is actually a finish bonus. At every time, yep. for every fight, as long as you get a finish, you get a bonus. Not a performance bonus for, you know, a couple of fighters. A, an actual finish bonus guaranteed for every single fighter on the card. And remember, in a sport like MLB or uh, NBA, Pretty much all the players are millionaires. Like the, the bare minimum salary for the NFL is what, like six hundred, seven hundred thousand a year right now. You're talking about MMA fighters, UFC fighters going out there making ten and ten, twelve and twelve. It's it's a very different ball game in terms of the ability for a fighter to be like, oh hey, I could bet you know this prop at plus five hundred and make a serious amount of money versus an NBA player. What's that really doing to their bank account? True, absolutely. You know who would have got a finished bonus? Uh, Nicholas Dalby defeated Gabriel Bonfim. Uh, the parlay buster. 
Uh, although I knew a lot of people that were on Dolby, so props to y'all if you were on them. I almost wish I studied this card because I feel like this would have been a classic. Uh, you know, I, I tend to take the vets. I tend to take the fighter who has to survive the storm if I were to kind of uh, grade my biases, so to speak. But no, I, I picked a bomb theme, I think, in Toutmaster. I didn't post picks for this one or anything, but congrats uh, to Dolby. Were, were, were you on Dolby as well, or what was your thoughts on this one, Luca? Yeah, we had an official bet on Dolby at plus 460. Props nice. to Liam for that. Uh, so that cashed. Um, we also had a bet on Dos Santos earlier at plus 340. Ended up going to a draw. I think draw is probably the right score. Just Same. whether you agree with like a 10-8 or whatnot, it's just like the way the actual fight played out, it was basically even. So like I feel like in terms of justice, I guess, draw is the right thing. Obviously, would have loved to cash the plus 340 there. But uh, this fight, I mean, it was one of those situations where it was very clear who the better fighter was. Obviously, Bone Beam is more talented in terms of offense. But the thing with him is he does have some defensive issues. Now, what surprised me was how once he tired and once he started falling apart, he completely fell apart. There are fighters where it's like, okay, they tire, and then the wheels start coming off, but they kind of fight through it. Like, Marcin Tybura, perfect example of that. He tires in every fight, but he fights through it pretty well. And then look at him against Alexander Romanov, the guy's the polar opposite. Guy starts to tire, it's like Bonefim just falls off of a cliff. And that was what was surprising to me. I thought that if he tired, which was possible, I thought that maybe he survives, maybe he could, you know, sneak out a 29-28, and if Dolby got the upset, it would actually be by a decision himself. I didn't think that he would go out there and just basically one-way traffic him once he absolutely got tired like that. I mean, it was, again, can't stress enough. It wasn't just fatigue. It was just a complete, absolute meltdown. Absolutely, yeah. I saw him check the clock at a certain point. That was just a bad sign. Um, and I was, like, driving with that car playing, so I wasn't even watching closely. Uh, I won't talk about the heavyweight fight because you know our opinions on that, folks. Um, and you know that me and Luca were not surprised that it was a, a decision affair. Um, I, I'll just – I'll just the, 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 the last two fights I want to talk about was is uh, the Fakardinov Eliza Zaleski, which I will say I believe the draw was right. But, man, uh, was it just me or, like – I feel like he was, was it because I had a bet? Because, like, I was in a parking lot. I was just running errands. And, like, I stopped the car. And I'm like, stop the fight. Stop the fight. Because I had a, I had a Dos Santos money line. I had him in a round robin. And then I had a ticket where I sprinkled by KO. And in that round robin, um, the only other tick of the three that hit was uh, Angela Hill. Because I, I just throw a bunch of dogs on there and, and have fun. That's all it lets me do at that, at that book that I said I was at. So he would have paid off the round robin. And it, anyways, it was like a thousand dollar swing and it's not just getting the, uh, being on the right side, which, you know, we, you know, for whatever moral victory we can take away that we were on the, on the right side of that. Right. Luca. Um, and it's not just like, Oh, you know, uh, you had money on it as well, but these seem to always happen on me where, where it's like a layered bet where I had them like in a parlay straight or I had it straight plus the prop that almost hit and that prop was also in a round robin where other things hit and if all that hit and you calculated it just from that one play alone it was a thousand dollar plus swing which is big for a better like me uh, who does you know a hundred dollar units and averages seven units a card uh, as far as risking a thousand dollar swing is nice to come across uh, so being able to always taste it and then have it slip through your fingers is really tough and I'm not gonna be complain or be ungrateful but I, I, I you know it, I've I've come to I've come to grips that you know as you have to in this you know some years are better than others some years are winners some years are losers and even though I'm real close and there's still a chance to come out on top in the black in this year uh, you know I, I'm I'm coming to peace with whatever happens I'll, I'll just say this Luca MMA gods can you stop can you 
stop teasing me with these $1,000 swings like this? Can you just stop? Can, can you stop with it? Can I get one of these my way? Can I get one of the ones? I could really use it right now. I could really use it right now. Upgrading the computer. Uh, Want to take some, 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 some actual time off, not just like I did last week for some sanity. Stop taking these $1,000 swings away from me. Sorry, no, uh, but, but w w was I blinded? Were we close to it? Was, was Easy close to getting a finish? I was driving. Was he close to getting a finish in round three there? It was interesting. When he was going for the ground and pound, well, I thought for starters, from the entire fight, I thought he looked ancient. I thought he looked yes. so old. Like, this was not the guy, and obviously I wasn't expecting it to be the guy who sure. fought Sean Strickland, but, like, you compare the performance from, like, those days to now, I mean, the speed. We're talking about, like, he's, like, legitimately half as fast now. Like, it was crazy how it looked like he was punching underwater. And then when he was going for the ground and pound, I don't know if it was because of that or if it was fatigue, but like there was nothing on those shots. I just kept sitting there thinking if you would actually just like pause, take a deep breath and then just unload like three hard right hands. The ref is stopping this. He's literally looking for any excuse. And he was just doing like little eh, 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 eh. And I'm just like, eh, not, not going to stop it. And of course it wasn't. And it ended up being a draw. I will say uh, in your defense, because. You know, I know how vicious people can be, you know, always trying to say, oh, whining or excuses. You've right. definitely had some brutal, brutal luck this year. There's been so many times I've seen on Twitter where, like, you are this close to either it's like a round robin or just a regular prop or it's like a robbery where it's just been so many times where I'm like, oh, my God, again. So the thing is with those, like you said, I guess it's sort of a moral victory more than anything else. But it's also a real world victory in the sense that if you are on the right side, long term, that is going to even out. So at least you can have faith that, well, maybe this year, however it turns out, next year or the year after, things are going to be turning out in the long term. So at least there's that. But obviously, it would be nice to actually get the dollars in your account. Sure. And, and you know, that's a great point you said about the ground and pound, because, again, I, don't, I didn't have the audio loud or anything. And to be honest, though, I, uh, which kind of explains maybe the ref posture. Because I actually thought the ref posture was opposite, and that's what I was reacting to. Because I couldn't tell with my little phone screen without the volume if it's good. He looks like he's just crumpled from a body shot. So me, I'm already freaking out because I'm like, if we, again, not just the judges, the way they grade rounds, but even the refs don't sometimes, and they're better about it than the judges are, but even the refs can be guilty of not respecting body shots. Because, like, you'll see people like, and I don't think, like, the Frivola Dober stoppage was bad or whatever, uh, because, you know, uh, Dober got hit in the chin, and when somebody goes down a certain way from getting hit, uh, it triggers the ref to stop. I except body shots, for whatever reason, even though your system is physically not letting you fight back, right? The, the, the refs will let them, you know, either Travis Brown out of it or just a prolonged beating like Jeremy Stevens, Jose Aldo. Um, so part of me is freaking out on that end, but what really had me freaking out was that I'm like, oh, fuck, we're in Brazil. And this is something to keep in mind for capping folks to parlay, uh, to parlay, to parlay, out of this and as well as to a bigger point to hopefully help you guys profit and remember these things when you go out of certain markets both for judging and refereeing when you're out of the main the main markets the main jurisdictions the main commissions right uh, it's fucking kumite rules it's it, it, it's a step past texas okay when you're in brazil it is kumite rules the, you're the, they're waiting for a guy to go completely out for a stoppage and what I was freaking out about was that I didn't even see the ref have any urgency I didn't see him change body level posture hands urgency step footing he was literally just chilling like this just hanging like hmm, waiting for a well, bus he, he wasn't even close he wasn't even close to them like when they're looking no. to stop the fight they'll like start inching close to the fighters he was like on the other side of the octagon because again the ground and pound was literally just like eh. yeah 
I'm like, yeah. you, ha you, ha you have a dominant mounted and back mount position here. The ref, if you, like I said, unload hard strikes, he's going to look yes. for any excuse to stop it with hard strikes from that position. That's like the easiest stoppage ever. Like, if you've not watched, like, uh, for people out there, because I know you have, but if people right. out there have not gone to, like, a crappy low-level amateur show, like your local, like, Battle at the Barn in the Midwest or yeah. something, so many fights end in TKOs like that, where it's just, oh, mount, and either the guy rolls over and gives up the rear naked choke because he doesn't want to get punched anymore, or the ref just mercy stops it after, like, three hard shots. <laughs> this, this is... This, you got your dog going there? Yeah, sorry. This is, uh, this is how the uh, like guys. the refs work. Like, if you are in a dominant position and you are taking hard shots, they're stopping it. If you're in a dominant position, and you're just eh, they're not doing anything. They don't care about that. Yeah, totally. Sorry about the dogs barking, guys. Relax over here, Brownie. Get over here. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and the the, the whole dominant position thing. As soon as he pulled him onto his back too, I, I knew the finish wasn't going to come. Yeah, uh, when he got onto his own back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The so, back so, mount, and he was on top of him. At that point, I let it go and was just hoping for some home cooking. But I believe that the draw was the right yep. score. No complaints there. Uh, last thing I, I will say, literally, though. Literally exact thought. My, as soon as, like, before even went fully flat, like, as soon as they were in the transition, I was yeah. like, oh, no finish. No finish. Yep, exactly. Uh, and then uh, one of the only other things that I sprinkled on that was also in the Robin, around Robin was Kyle Bahio round three. So that was really frustrating, too, because uh, you literally have the guy doing the check, please, right? Like Charles Oliveira, Cubs Swanson, like, sign, where, like, they're literally waving their hand off, right? They're backing up literally the whole body language, like literally gifted him like the vulnerability of uh, all he wanted. And uh, yeah, man, I, I thought this was going to be a classic spot where you know, Kyle Bahio's getting the decision uh, moniker. Watch, because of this, this is the time where everybody's going to bet him by decision, and then he's going to go out there and get the finish. Like those classic fighters that just piss you off, right? Um, and so I was like, no, 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 he's facing a do-or-die fighter, and regardless of what side of the do or die fighter on uh, I am, those are my favorite dynamics to bet. I will always, you know, sprinkle rounds on those, whether I'm betting the do or die fighter like a Daniel Pineda against a Tucker Lutz in rounds one or two, or I'm betting for the Daniel Pineda type fighter to fade and I'm betting their opponent in rounds two or three. Um, I do very well on those. Uh, long term, in general, more than happy to take an L on that. But man, was that frustrating when you see a guy, he literally has it, and then he then he just gives it away. And then to make insult to injury, he does the post-fight thing. Not as bad as uh, Francimar Bahos. Remember, did I give you PTS flashbacks reminding you of that name, having to tape study those awful fights, Luca? Uh, I, mean, I don't it, know if that man ever had a decent fight in his life. No, and at the end of it, he would act like he put on the fight of the year, and he'd get on the cage, and he'd do, like, Ginyu Force anime poses. Yeah, be, like, like smiling, and so be, like, doing Conor McGregor stuff. Yeah, like, you threw one leg kick every minute and a half. You just, I want that time back, and I'll never get it. Now, this was a more exciting fight than a Francis Marbahos fight, but then he does the same thing. He's like, I want the title. I'm like, you're, bro, you're acting like you just beat somebody, like, really good and did it in statement fashion. You did neither, buddy. You did neither. You had the chance for one. You did neither. And uh, I know I bet it. I know I'm salty about that. But, man, how can you not be? And, by the way, these things that I'm talking about, you know it's bad because I hear people who don't bet and who don't, you know, have any dog in the race, and they were frustrated about the Almeida fight. They thought something fishy was about the Almeida fight. They thought that, you know, Kyle Bahio dropped the ball. So, like, this doesn't even have to do with betting. Like, these are opinions that other people have and should have regardless if they bet. Uh, to be honest, I thought this was, like, one of the worst UFC cards ever in terms of the way the fights played out. There was some yeah. good ones, like the Dalby fight, of course, but sure. uh, this fight, the Kyle fight, I was just like, what are you doing? Like, he clearly was better than him. He clearly was fresher. He clearly could have, like, done 
much more at any point. And it was almost like he, like, in his mind, came up with the idea, like, I'm just going to fight super cerebral and super tactical, and I'm going to take the bare minimum damage, which is good to an extent. And despite that, though, when the opportunities were, were there to do so much more, he still stuck to that game plan of just going to do the bare minimum and be super cerebral when it's like, okay, sometimes you do have to open up the playbook and actually go for it. And, yeah, yeah this was much like the Almeida fight. It was one where... Okay, it was a dominant win, but did you come away thinking, oh, wow, Kyle, he's the next title contender. I now think higher than him. Or do you go, mm, maybe about the same, maybe even a little bit worse? You know, I, I don't think I, I, I'm worse off on him now, but uh, not any better, certainly. I think the UFCs uh, will have, like, um, you know, we'll have these undefeated prospects, you know, they'll be trying to hype up and they'll be facing, you know, complete bums and stuff like that. And yes, you should point out that they're not facing good opposition. Yes, you should face that they're not, uh, point out that they're not proven. But it is worth still um, considering how they perform against those low-level opposition. Are they going out there and actually trashing them? Are they, you know, just torching them, getting them out there super easily? Or are they going out there and being in nip-tuck affairs? Are they struggling? Or are they doing something like this where they're just kind of coasting? Upper-level fighters should treat lower-level fighters like lower-level fighters. That is a defining characteristic of what makes fighters great. John Jones goes out there and he beats fighters at their own strengths. He dominates them at that. He dominates their fall and fight. He doesn't go out there and barely eat by. And when he did have a few fights like that, he got a bunch of criticism for it because that's not what makes fighters great. And so if you're a Kayo, if you're a Jailton Almeida, being dominant and winning every round isn't always enough. It is good to an extent, but when you're talking about going from a mid-level guy, a contender, like a lower-level contender, to an actual title contender, mm -hmm. you have to stop based on uh, versus these type of performances. 100% and for betters out there you should also have you know your own similar set of higher standards because you're a better you're I'm assuming you're looking to put money on these people so you know it's okay to be critical in that in that aspect uh shout out to the moderators in the house the muscle men Jimmy Kudo I'll keep the rules and regs short just be respectful thank you Dan for sharing your time and analysis with us or well I'll pass the thank you on to our guest for sharing his time and analysis but I will uh, appreciate you as per usual Jimmy Kudo there uh, Ghost Phantom, another analyst I respect, and uh, a muscle man here, a moderator of sorts. What's up, Dan? I hope you do some Amazon reads. I told my friends to use your Amazon click-through link to buy stuff. Uh, plus, I bought a few things that sound funny. Oh, I'm excited now. Thank you for doing that, Jimmy. And anybody who wants to does that, whether you purchase yourself or even encourage others. Like, I have a hard enough time, like, trying to get my own family members to go use the link or some shit, you know? So, I appreciate that. James Kendrick says, hello. What's up, James? Always good to see you, sir. Rio says in Truesdale, one of my favorite shows. Oh, thank you. Way too kind. Appreciate you, Rio. Uh, James Kendrick Bonfim reminds you of the great cardio machine in Americani. Yeah, 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 definitely. With the uh, clock checking of my man Worley Alves there. Uh, not trying to take, not trying to shoot strays at Worley, by the way. Um, Ghost says, love draws and no contests. Uh, a bet of generational wealth. Yeah. Um, I, I will say, whenever they start turning up the 10-8s again, uh, I, I wonder if they'll, you know, the, the draws will be worth sprinkling on for you folks. But right now there is a lot of 10-8 dissension, and right now, 33 minutes in, Scotty Pippen time. We're gonna go to UFC 295. Gonna retweet this on the old uh, artist formerly known as Twitter Sphere to get things while, going. While you're doing that, let me mention on the 10-8 note, how Please. funny is it? that they did this huge public thing. Oh, we're gonna have this whole little thing where we're gonna go over the 10 eights. We're gonna make sure we get them right. We're gonna educate everyone. Oh, look at this whole big PR thing we're doing. We're making such a big deal. And then it was like immediately like the next week or week after there was like one of the worst examples of, I can't remember if it's either a lack of a 10 eight yeah. or they gave a 10 eight when it wasn't deserved. And it was yes. just like, well, so much for that. This is MMA judging. There is never going to be any accountability. It is hilarious. 
Yeah, I think it was from a, a, a veteran judge, too, a judge who gets a, a, a lot of assignments, which I always try to notate and, and, and pay respect to. But it was a bad, it was an absolutely bad loop, bad look. And it's something that I've, I, I've called for a lot, and you see it within, you know, I think even in this card where you saw a judge not give a 10-8 where he probably should have, and then he's the lone judge a few fights later who gives a 10-8 when no one else did. And this is something that I speak to all the time, and people get defensive because they think you're you know, insulting the referees or judges, who I actually respect, by the way. I do greatly respect them. But what I'm talking about is not nothing personal. It's something called human nature, and it's overcorrecting the steering wheel. And the officials, as far as the, the referees, do this all the time, right? You see them stop a fight early, chances are they're probably going to let the next one go a little late. Not even, even maybe even in the next week or for the next few months, like Keith Peterson adjusted, right? Um, it's Dude, called... there was a period, there was a period with Herb Dean, like maybe six, seven, eight, it might have been longer, maybe like eight to ten years ago, where mm -hmm. like every three months, he was like flip-flopping, where he would be like the worst late stoppages, and like yes. everybody would be on him, Dana White, everyone, and then the next three months, he'd flip, and all of a sudden, they'd be all early, and then everyone would get on him for that, and then the next yes. three months, he'd be all late again, and he just went back and forth, back and forth, constantly trying to overcorrect. Ultimately, judging and refereeing is such a thankless job. I do not oh. envy them in their positions, but at the same time, there are certain judges that just need to go. And there are certain judges that are very good that, uh, unfortunately, you know, a guy like Mike Bell, speaking of 10-8s, I will die on the hill that he is one of the very best judges in MMA. Yeah, I think so I will also is. agree yeah. that that I will also agree that that score is absolutely atrocious, that 10-8, but aside from that, this dude has been literally one of the very best judges in MMA history, and now he's, like, talked about in the Sal Diamato uh, like type of talk, when Sal, every single week, is just putting out stinker after stinker it's crazy like mike bell there are certain judges like ben cartledge when he had a bad score earlier this year all of a sudden he got thrown in the mix people need to not be so just yeah. quick to throw everyone in the in the mix with the bad judges there are a lot of very good judges who of course are not perfect who are going to make yeah. mistakes it's about consistency overall yeah i want to be careful about saying something nice about sal because a i think that he's had some really every week why, why, why are you the one right but at the same time, he does work every week, so you got to remember that. That's probably why his name comes up a lot. Uh, I will say that. But also why I don't want to compliment him or any other judge. It, they deserve it, and we should more. But every time I complimented judge, I complimented Ben Cartledge, and then he had, like, the O'Malley yawn, which wasn't as, you know, uh, as crazy in the moment as people thought. And then I think he had another one, maybe, like, a, I think it was Roundtree, Khalil Roundtree versus Jacoby, which wasn't as crazy in the moment. If you go back and rewatch it, you can, you know, whether you agree with it or not, you can understand the scorecard. But he also started getting bad mouth. And then I think it was like Chris Lee back in like, this is all the way back in 2018 or 2019. I gave him a compliment. And then he went on this run in like 2019 to 2020 where he had like some of the most, and if you actually looked at the stats, shout out to Scott Fontana of Couchside Judges, um, he actually had excellent unanimity between like 2015 and 2018 when I was paying Dude, him I was going to say, compliment. I remember Chris being like, oh, Chris Lee, oh no, I used to always be like, oh, he's, he's pretty good. And then yeah. it was like, ever since COVID, like, this dude is like worse than Sal Diamato. And they always are putting them th those two together, and then you get these BS split decisions where, what do you know, <laughs> the one good judge is on the other side, and then Chris Lee and Sal Diamato both on the other. It's the point where like, every single week, Sal Diamato, like, I can't remember the last time this dude scored a, a, a card for my fighter like i swear the dude sides up for my service just you know? to score against my sides like, like it's crazy like i know obviously he doesn't i'm just joking uh, yeah but obviously yeah right right no no i know what you mean a coincidence but i know what you mean you know who used to be my guy for that and so now i've been making sure to give him credit because i've been ending up on a lot of the same scorecards as him but for a while i felt like it was Derek cleary 
where I'm like, you just not like guys who counter, or I'm trying to think of my biases. I'm like, maybe he just has the opposite biases. Maybe if I had a conversation about like music and movies, like it's just down the line, like we, we don't agree on anything, you know? So of yeah. course he's not going to see what I see in a fight, right? Like, and, and, and I bet that would be you and Sal if you guys got together. Like you guys probably couldn't agree on food. You guys probably can't agree on like cars or anything, um, which is, is, so, is, is we, I get that. We're talking about million dollar swings in, in certain cases, multi-million dollar swings in terms of the UFC's promotional dollars, the fighters' paydays and all that, sponsorships, et cetera, et cetera. And you have these judges who are supposed to be judging the best of the best. These are supposed to be the best of the best themselves. There should be a certain level of the standard. And obviously we know there are better judges than Sal Diamato, multiple of them, in fact. So if that's the case, when you're talking about the best of the best, that's who should be judging those fights. And so obviously a guy like Sal Diamato is not that. So maybe if there was like, you know, I guess leagues for judges. I don't know. Maybe he's minor league. Maybe he's a triple A, you know, quality judge. I don't know. Maybe he's a, a Bellator quality judge, not, you know, a UFC quality. Like, I don't know the proper analogy for it because mm-hmm. I don't really know where he falls on that uh, that spectrum. But it's very clear that despite the fact that I will admit he does score the vast majority of fights correctly, he still scores more incorrect than other judges. And that's something that needs to be addressed. Yeah, I think. Uh, and, and you know what? I think that uh, this overcorrecting the steering wheel to, to just kind of put a bow on this, I think it, it, it represents the tools and the lessening of tools is going to make even a good judge not as effective, right? And I mean, I, you know, and, uh, you know, shout out to the couch side judges, guys. I was even listening to them. They were almost confusing themselves and I'm glad they admitted it. Even Scott admitted it. He's like, I don't even know if I'm confident in my own 10-8 scores because there's, you know, we're back to what... You know, the whole, you know, whether it's the people who in, in, in the industry or the criteria media nerds, you know, you want to call me or anybody else, uh, we're all pushing to one unanimity, but it's almost like we're back to square one where there's who we saw slash think won the fight, and then there's the scorecard of who we think the judges are going to think, and that's not right. We shouldn't have two scorecards. That's what we, that's what ideally we were trying to work away from, and we're back there. We're back to, well, this is who should probably win it, uh, both according to criteria and what I saw, but the way things are typically adjudicated because commissions are worried about what Dana White's going to say. If we get mad and we mess up one of his fights in his eyes with the 10-8 since the Bakowicz Adesanya from 2021, it's been kind of a, a boomerang. But anyways, we digress. And even though the sketchiness uh, of the Jailton Almeida-Derek Lewis fight, we got UFC 295 headline by Yuri Prohachka initially opened as a favorite. Now roughly even money. Uh, we'll just go, uh, I'm just going to go plus 105. Uh, and then minus 125 roughly is the favorite pricing for Alex Pereira. Do you think, uh, what are your thoughts on this matchup? And do you think the judges will be needed for this one to start off your analysis? This is one of the trickiest fights to break down in quite some time for myself. Um, Something you and I have talked about before on air and off air is as a proper analyst, as someone who's handicapping the sport of MMA or any sport or really handicapping any potential spot for an investment, you want to be looking at both the positives and the negatives of that potential investment. So if you're buying a house, you want to know the upsides and the downsides, right? If you are going to bet on a fighter, you want to know how they both can win and they can lose. For whatever reason, there's a large portion of people who reject that notion and just want an analyst to just be 100% this guy's a lock, this is the only way the fight's going to go, but that's not the way the world works. It's like if you're flipping a coin and you pick heads, you still know that there's a 50% chance that it can land on tails too. You're not pretending that it's 100% heads. You still know it's 50-50, even though your pick is on heads nonetheless. So in terms of this fight, 
I'm prefacing it with that because my thoughts are kind of all over. I can see this fight going so many different ways. The original read I had on it was I thought that Alex was going to get the knockout based on the absolutely massive defensive liabilities from uh, Yuri. And then I flipped to eventually going with Yuri based on the cardio and the pace, the lack of volume that Alex has shown in the past. Also, his cardio was a bit untested in MMA. Obviously, looked shaky last time at 205, although I know there was altitude and it was his first time up there and stuff, but still obviously concerning showing there. So uh, now, though, after I thought about it even more, I've kind of like fallen in between and now I'm just sort of 50-50 between the two. When I look at the tape, Yuri's defense, I mean, it's an absolute abortion. I did a fight film episode over on my Patreon for it this week, uh, breaking down the tape on this uh, monitor right here. And I mean, it's honestly comical the way that he drops his hands after every single punch that he throws. And then he moves his face right at his opponent. It is not like some other fighters who drop their hands and they use that, you know, evasive, you know, they're kind of like leaning back. He actually leans forward as he drops yeah. his hands. And this is why he gets tagged. He's been knocked out before as a result. I showed that on the footage. And then I showed how even in his most recent fights, he still has the literal exact same tendency. So he does not learn his lesson. I don't think that's going to be something he suddenly learns ahead of this matchup. I'm expecting some of those same defensive liabilities. The thing is, Alex has to get the knockout here probably in order to win. I don't see him outpacing and outvoluming Yuri down the stretch here. Yuri throws so much volume. He's so aggressive. And Alex has never been a great minute-to-minute, round-to-round winner type of guy. Yes, he's won decisions. Yes, he's capable of doing that. But he generally is a power guy. And even when he wins rounds, it's more so because he kind of slows the pace down and keeps his opponent gun-shy because they're afraid of his power. So... This is a, a case where if we get to, say, round three, four, five, we're probably going to start to see it turning more in the uh, trend towards uh, Yiri just because he's going to be the fresher fighter probably. And on top of that, he's going to be throwing a lot more pace. The thing is, though, in order for him to win the fight, he probably has to get it to at least round three. And that just gives Alex so many opportunities to land the massive kill shot mm. in those first couple of rounds, maybe even up until the third. I mean, again, you're talking about a guy who drops his hands and runs face first at his opponents with them down. I mean... He has literally the worst defense of any top 10 fighter in the UFC right now. It is absolutely atrocious, and I cannot understate that enough. He is all about creating chaos, and then he thrives in that chaos. He's yeah. not good at checking kicks either. Uh, he's very susceptible to calf and leg kicks. You go back and watch his fight against C.B. Dalloway and Ryzen. He was getting owned there with the kicks. Eventually, because he's Yiri, he creates chaos, gets the knockout. He had a fight shortly after that. He uh, got knocked down, almost out. Eventually knocks the guy out himself. Gets knocked out by King Mo. They rematch. Knocks out King Mo in that. We've seen him get knocked down all over the place in the UFC as well. This is what the man does. He goes out there, he kind of gets his ass kicked, and then he just survives. Is that going to work against a guy who might be the hardest puncher in this division? And on top of that is one of the most technical and tactical strikers at that. Everyone talks about the size and the power of Alex. They don't talk about how great his uh, tactics are as well. You look at the Sean Strickland fight. Again, I did a fight film episode for that. Went over the footage there. The entire fight, Alex throws jabs and some leg kicks. He only throws three head strikes. And he throws one left hook early on in the fight, which Sean blocks easily because Sean was prepared for it. So then Alex starts digging the jab to the chest over and over. And it's not until Sean reacts and instead of putting his hands up here, puts his hands down here and actually extends them out to try to parry it, that only then does Alex go for the left hook again, lands clean and hard and knocks him out. So he sets traps like that as well. He doesn't just find what you're doing wrong and then capitalize. He'll actually lead you into traps. So the technical striking, the power... All of those things, the counters, they just absolutely terrify me here from Yuri. But maybe he gets knocked down. Maybe he's able to get takedowns early. Who knows? Maybe he just survives to round three. He probably can start to turn the tide. So 
This is a fight where it's probably early versus late. We probably see chaos. We probably see both of them have some success. I guess at this point in time, I'll stick with my pick I went earlier in the week, which was Yuri. But like I said, it's really 50-50. It's not even like a real pick for me. I think this fight could go absolutely either way. I expect some chaos and a great fight nonetheless. Absolutely. A lot of well stuff said, uh, well said stuff. Um, this fight could definitely go either way. You know, I, I was actually looking to maybe just avoid it from a betting angle. Um, I did end up placing a bet. Nothing too crazy here, just because, um, you know, it, it, as crazy as it is, this is a fight where I still have a read on it. Not just the fight itself, but it's a read that I've had on Prohachka for a minute, which is that it, not just, you know, the dipping stuff, which is true, but he also dips forward and he also dips slightly to his right, um, which... And that also makes left sh left-handed shots, you know, uh, hitting him at least to my count at a disproportionate rate. Uh, even though King Mo was a right hand, Glover hurt him with a right hand, um, and other fighters have too, uh, both in and out of the UFC. I think left hands hit him a lot more. Whether you're looking at Dominic Reyes's southpaw crosses uh, or Ozdemir's uh, left hooks coming forward or off the counter. Um, as well, and it's because of those those motions, you know, Luca was talking about, and his defense, and again against a guy who's known for his left hook, it's it's bad, but again that right cross is also going to be there for Alex Pereira because, you know, he can split timing kind of very well. Um, I, don't, I forget if it's the second or third fight in this series with Yusri Bulgari in kickboxing, um, but once he gets your timing, you know, he really he really has you. And even though the unorthodoxness could throw him off, right? And Alex Pereira, even though his chin is probably better at light heavyweight, to his account, to what we've seen evidence-wise, kickboxing and MMA, yeah, it's probably better. But, like, could Yuri knock him out? Like, absolutely, right? Um, finding a shot around the guard, his unorthodox ways. And, you know, even Alex Pereira himself said, you know, it's a bit unorthodox, but that's why I have Glover. And even if you go look at the fight with Glover, by round two, Glover's got his timing, and he's tagging Yuri really hard. And that that's Glover, Teixeira, old man Glover, with a, a way more limited arsenal. You know, just a jab, cross hook, barely an uppercut, doesn't go to the body as much as he should. Underrated kicks Glover does, even hits Prohachka with, the, with a head kick, which is something that to look out for Pajeda here. Because again, Pajeda, he could be, even though he's a little older, deceptively, 36, not old, for a guy who's should be at heavyweight, middleweights or heavyweights that cut weight, folks. But you look at the young Ioana Jacek model. When Young Jacek first came from kickboxing, when you see these high-level strikers come over, they're reluctant to throw their kicks because they don't want to be taken down. They got to develop their wrestling. They got to develop their ground game, and they have to also develop, redevelop their striking to fit into MMA with all those things in mind. So that's why you didn't see Young Jacek throwing kicks and stuff till later in the career. This also you see this with Adesanya. Uh, even though Adesanya kind of, we also saw him long enough, and he fought so much where we also kind of saw some regression points, right? Arguably, and now he's in a little uh, retirement of sorts. But yeah, like he, you know, from when he first starts off to in his peak prime, and Pereira could be going through that as well here. So we could see him throw more kicks. To Luca's point, uh, Prohachka not the best defense in general, but yes, not the best kick defense. However. Both guys have an underrated ability. Obviously, Pereira more, better process, more reliable. But both guys uh, have the uh, the ability to counter kicks. So I also don't know how much they might kick, you know, with that in mind, as well as the ground attacks, right? Like, uh, maybe Prohachka definitely not as afraid to be on bottom, but Pajeda might be, right? So maybe he doesn't want to give an, an easy slip and then a scramble and chaos ensues and you're in, you're in the fires of Yuri there. So I don't know how much kicking is going to do, but 
Uh, I do like the left hook and the right hands and how I think he gets those reads. And I want to shout out my guy, Ghost, and my guy, Miguel Class, uh, who uh, I, I, I incorporated the tweet. And I, almost, I, I, I jokingly, like, not seriously got mad, but I'm just like, ah, the thing about holding content to later in the week, Luca, because this was one of those weeks where you're talking about like your early forecast. I'm like, oh, I wish I could do something like that because there's so many things that I, I, I want to say. But because I, I wait for everything and everything doesn't come out to the end of the week, even though I'm, I'm, I'm doing my analysis on Sunday, I'm shooting videos on Monday. Like my analysis ain't dropping until Thursdays, whether it's this podcast or it's stuff on Junkie, right? So it's it's kind of it's it's kind of frustrating to like watch like the points that you want to say like get all kind of beat from different angles and I'm like ah oh, now it's all been talked about by the time I get to it I know that's stupid or whatever but it's also a human being thought that we kind of all have that FOMO and uh, one of it was um, Prohashka's weird prods that he does and one of the notes that I wrote wrote down is like I I, I was joking like whether he's resetting his chakras or doing like long karate style feints um, and some of them are, are like are actually kind of like Alex Pereira where he'll do a purposely slow prod to kind of pull you into a counter. Like they actually share a lot of the same process that way. But the thing is, is that what I noticed, the reason why Glover was able to find his timing as soon as round two, even Glover and other fighters is because those little prods, for as much as they may have a purpose for Yuri, they arguably have just as much of an advantageous purpose for his opponents from a range-finding perspective. In other words, he's almost giving away his own distance. So even if his, his opponent is like 80% of MMA fighters still sadly today in 2023 and they don't jab for their range, it doesn't matter because Yuri is almost giving him that range. He's reaching for him. And if you look at it, when he reaches, that's when he's getting hit with left hooks or right hands from multiple fighters. And if you look at Pereira from his drilling to his sparring to where it counts in his actual fights... Those are the reads that he thrives the most off of. So kind of getting reaffirmed of that. I still didn't like the price swing. I still didn't like missing Pereira. But I said, you know what? If I can get him close to even, for me, close to even is um, minus 110 to minus 115. And if it goes to minus 118 to minus 120, that's too much for me in some cases. Playable chalk, I know I like to say maybe for me, playable chalk in my, my price range, around minus 150 is where I try to cut myself off. There's always, you know, there's always, uh, you know, uh, exceptions to the rule right um but yeah i ended up seeing him down at minus 115 and i just put 1.15 units just to get a unit return on there there's nothing else that's juicy you got pretty much even money for the ko not even really worth throwing in the round robin at that point so just a one pretty much a pretty much a one unit money line i'm not going crazy here i'm not going multiple units not hating you if you are on this fight at least you're doing it on known products it's just too volatile fight to plant my flag and be like, this is what's going to happen for sure. Sorry, long-winded there. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree with um, some of the things you talked about with the, the head movement, too, of Yuri. When he, he, he sometimes will move his head slightly to the left when he throws the right hand, but that's mm. basically the only left head movement he literally ever has. Like, it's just non-existent. He will walk straight, at, like, he will be against the cage. And his opponent will be, like, in the middle of the cage, sort of. There'll be a ton of distance between them. He will drop his hands and then walk towards them in the middle. They will start punching him, and then he just keeps walking until they get to the other side of the cage. And then he'll, like, try a flying knee and get knocked down. Like, he did that exact thing against Glover. He just, like, walked the entire length in a straight line at Glover, not moving his head literally at all. And then Glover finally, when he gets his own back against the cage, Jiri, or Yuri, excuse me, goes for a flying knee and Glover knocks him down because his entire time his head is just straight. And then even when he throws the knee, his head doesn't even really go up in the air. His head is still like straight. 
Like his head is just always in the exact place. So again, you're talking about, you know, is he going to lean into a left hook or something from, from Alex? I don't think he even needs to do, to do that. I think his head movement and defense is so bad yeah. that as long as he's in striking distance, Alex can just dart out a punch and, and bomb on him. Like, I do think at some point year he's getting hurt in this fight. Like, I just think it's going to happen. It depends how he recovers. He's always been great at recovering aside from really just that King Mo fight for the most part. But he gets rocked a lot. Dude, Dominic Reyes knocked him out for a half second with an up kick. He flatlined and then woke up on, like on top of Reyes passing his guard. Like yep. he fell into a guard yeah. pass. He admitted yeah. it in an interview after too, so it's not even like, you know, yeah. speculation. So Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and last thing I'll say before I move on, because I forgot to say this last time and it's been relevant. I don't know how relevant it is for Yuri, although his dynamic is later, and he has, to your point from the Reyes to the Glover fight, whether it's the rounds or within the rounds, he finishes toward the end. Something I noticed with Pajeda, in and out of his series with Adesanya, in and out of kickboxing and MMA, when he's been hurt, it's usually been at the very end of rounds. I don't know if it's a focus issue. I'm not going to try to play psychologist or anything, but it just happens to be the guy tends to get hurt at the end of rounds, and that's when kind of Yuri comes on strong. So there is a dynamic there if he can survive things, to, uh, to your point. One thing, too, I want to add, um, if we're talking about Alex so far in his career... What has he really actually done in MMA that has been impressive? I know that sounds like such like a hater thing to say because obviously he was the UFC middleweight champion, but like looking at his record, he aside yeah. from the Israel win, which obviously of course was good, like his last fight against Jan Blahovitz, not good at all. I picked him there and like I'm glad he got the W, but I was like, oh, this is out by Israel. Before that, going back to earlier in the UFC. Uh, he had the good performance against Sean Strickland, who, I mean, that was kind of a, a freebie with the way that Sean stood with him like that, with his, you know, uh, mm -hmm. striking approach at that point. Sean's gotten much better as a striker since then, of course. Um, and then before that, he had the Bruno Silva performance and then some, like, low-level things outside the UFC. Like, I'm not so sure that this dude is actually an elite-level, like, a true elite-level MMA fighter at this point. He's had some generally favorable style matchups like again israel obviously a fantastic fighter but he had already lost to alex and he's a kickboxer like if you're talking about stylistic matchups that's one of the easiest matchups of a top fighter for alex just another straight up kickboxer right. who's already beat multiple times including by knockout uh the jan blahovitz fight yeah jan has some ground game we obviously saw him take down izzy but jan is getting up there in age and he's not like a super dominant top position grappler either he'll get mount and stuff back mount like he did there but not you know a super dominant submission artist so, again, even that performance, that showing, you know, I picked Alex there because, again, stylistically, it's not that bad of a matchup for him. Now, again, not saying that, you, you know, Yuri is a bad matchup here for him, but my point is, if he wins this fight, he's going to be champ champ in the UFC. Yeah. Like, he will have won the middleweight title and then the light heavyweight title. Like, I know not at the same time, right. but he'll still have won both and, and within, like, a year of each other about. So, like, that would be... I, obviously it can still happen i'm not saying that oh just because he'd be you know a lower level champ champ uh for or whatever you want to call it like that means it's not going to happen but it's just kind of crazy that like this this is what we're talking about like he actually could be champ champ he's in a stylistically very winnable yeah. matchup and we really don't even know all that much about his mma game like, like he's so completely untested in so many ways that that's fair i obviously uh am a big poeton fan and i obviously even with the sketchy moments uh value that block of which win uh uh you know, not pretty high, but 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 maybe higher than you venture to say. But that being said, you're absolutely right, and uh, there's no denying he's had easy matchmaking. It's crazy to think that he could be a champ champ without facing a wrestler. Like even McGregor at least had to face a short notice Chad Mendez for his first title, right? 
not not even for the champ champ, but just for the first title, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, you say, and everybody talks about Connor being, you know, oh, he had an easy run. Like, Alex Pineda is getting definitely getting the favor, which is fine because if you look at the way Brazilians are usually treated, not just in the UFC, but in MMA in general. Look at those Russian organizations. No one else will go out and you know, fight their undefeated dudes for no name value and barely any money. Of course, it's the brave Brazilians that always got to go out there. So God bless uh, uh, Poetan for getting it. But you, yeah, I'm not going to disagree with that. Uh, but also, Luca, you know, before we move on here and to preach to the choir, what divisions is he competing in? You don't you don't have to be that <laughs> good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You, middleweight, light heavyweight or heavyweight. If you are if, if you're a good finisher and you're really good at one thing, that's all you need to be. There's barely anybody who grapples in the top two of the divisions, light heavyweight or heavyweight, right? And in middleweight, if they grapple, they probably can't strike. <laughs> so it's... And there's like, at, at any given time, there's like two top middleweights ever. There's like never more than like two yes. like legit top yeah. middleweights. Like right. Robert Whitaker and Israel were like the top guys for like years. And like the next guy was like Derek Brunson. Like it's just right. how it goes. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so next fight, I keep getting it mistaken, and I feel better because everybody else does because who cares at this point with the interim titles and the way UFC shuffles it up? This is like one of their top three years of losses of uh, main events and co-main events. But the co-main event is the heavyweight fight because it is an interim heavyweight fight, of course. And uh, that's going to be Tom Aspinall, who uh, opened as a bigger favorite despite him taking the fight on somewhat shorter notice three weeks here. Uh, minus 118 right now, roughly. Uh, comeback on Pavlovich. Again, not much of a comeback near even money. Minus 102. Um, and Pavlovich, of course, was training to be the understudy, the backup for Jones and Miocic, which is no longer happening. Um, yeah, basically, I'll just kick off this fight and I'll, I'll throw it to you, Luca. This is another one where, you know, you, you, you shouldn't be too, you know, uh, flagging the ground on either side. Uh, I stupidly have a bet here. Um, maybe I, I bet a little more than I... I, I I should not too much more really than the, than the last fight, but uh, basically I put 1.5 units on Aspinall inside the distance. Even though at the time you could get his money line near that price, and you think with the Jailton Almeida lesson, you know what if this goes to decision, just take the take the money line. But as as you know, Luca, as most people know, England backs their fighters at the betting window as well. Even though the money kind of uh, you know came down, and it looks like he could tr- he, his money line could start trickling back up, like I predicted. Which is why I just took a shot. Uh, I pick. I picked a side and ride, so to speak, and uh, I just took uh, Aspinall inside the distance. Um, more ways to win the fight. The ground game. I like that he buries his head into the chest. Uh, you know, like a like a vintage Chael Sonnen on his power doubles. He's gonna need to do that. But at the same time, or would I be surprised if he gets knocked out because he, uh, you know, uh, with his swagger, which I appreciate, but. Uh, Again, I don't know if it's because he's uh, his, his boxing swagger, it's the insulation from his height, or both, but he keeps his chin up. He's a little too reliant on the shoulder entries, and sometimes will back up in straight lines or even the same line in which he came. So uh, if Pavlovich decides to, for example, even attach just one more punch to his two-punch returns, his cross-hook, his jab-cross, his hook-cross returns, uh, sometimes it's a slip-uppercut-hook return or a jab-uppercut. Those are his kind of normal ones. If he just adds one punch to extend a combination on one of those, I think he can catch Aspinall. And I was thinking in my head, I'm like, I don't think we're going to see Pavlovich throw very, very many kicks. Again, the counters are too too risky, like we talked about in the previous fight for Poetan. But I'm like, if he switches to Southpaw and even just throws a left hand. And then I sure enough, I go to his Instagram page, and Pavlovich looks like he's been working that for the past few weeks. 
over an American top team, that similar combo. I know you can never look at, I'm not a pad work person. I'm like, ooh, look what he was doing on the pads. He looks terrible. Or look, he looks good. I'm not that guy. But I just thought that was funny that that was like the one note I saw in my head. And that was the one thing I saw him working on the pads. So I wouldn't I be surprised if, if he wins. Note. But go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, please take it. I, I, I'm sure, sure you agree with me on this. How hilarious is it when someone, like, it happens every week. Like, a guy goes out there and, like, he wins a fight by, like, a right-hand knockout. And then someone's like, oh, my God, he was hitting pads. And look, he threw a right hand. I love yeah. that. I love that. Oh, God. ES- ESPN account. That's how they get most of their views, baby. Dude, they always do that. I'm like, yeah, it's so, almost uh, like fighters train the techniques that they perform in the cage. It's almost it's like that's literally what training is. Yeah. It's crazy. I know. It's crazy. But yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised either way. What do you what do you got for this one, Luca? Yeah, this is an interesting one. Talking about not really being sure how good fighters are, I don't really know how good either of these fighters are because as the UFC constantly promotes, their average fight time each, I think it's 219 for Aspinall and 233 yeah. for Pavlovich, like the number one and number three shortest in the UFC. So it's hard to really judge, you know, talk about like Alex earlier. The point I was going there with the, the fact that we don't really know how good he is in MMA because he's faced such low level opposition is the potential for him to go out there and do something shockingly awful against Yuri. Like maybe Yuri gets a takedown in round one and then Alex just does like some horrible thing to give up his back or a choke in like a completely like low level battle at the right. barn amateurish type of way. That stuff happens when these guys go out there and are super untested, super unproven. The same kind of thing actually applies for both of these fighters. We have zero clue what their cardio is like for the most part. We've seen Sergey a, a little bit earlier in his career. Uh, Aspinall went to a second round against Arlovsky. He looked like he was tiring there, but different circumstances going into that one. It was also a bit, a bit ago. Maybe his cardio has improved then. You know, right. I'm not really willing to say based on one fight where it's not like he actually gassed. You know, he still won the fight there and got the finish. Not willing to say that was actually you know too damning about his cardio, but does give a little bit of concern if i'm you know being honest there so we don't know what either fighter is going to look like really in round two here we haven't seen either of them face too much adversity for the for the most part so there's a lot of question marks in terms of their skill sets they're relatively untested the thing about heavyweight which i think a lot of people discount what makes it so hard to handicap is look at a fight like or excuse me a division like flyweight a lot of decisions, you know, it's like obviously a much higher percentage than heavyweight. You still get a lot of finishes as well, but it's like 60% or whatever of flyweight fights go to go to decisions. So because of that, you actually get to see the fighters fight. Yes. Like you actually yep. see the grappling, the striking, the cardio, you know, their heart, all that sort of stuff. Heavyweight, it's usually like a first round finish or they're yeah. just gassed and clinging to each other in survival mode. Right. Not even really trying to fight. They're just like trying to like do the bare minimum to survive and make it to the scorecard. So it's hard to gauge heavyweights in general. But then again, like look at this situation. It's just, ooh, this is some tricky stuff. Ultimately, I am going to side with Aspinall for a couple of reasons. Based on what we've seen from him, he seems to actually be a well-rounded, complete fighter. Now, Obviously, it's easy to look good against certain fighters like he has. We haven't seen his defense tested in a lot of ways, but at least he does seem to be more of a well-rounded, complete fighter. He also seems to be the better athlete, much lighter on his feet, and the faster of the two. Sergey, meanwhile, he's very plodding, and he's very stiff and rigid. Those types of fighters basically never have good cardio. Those stiff, like Ryan Bader, rigid type of like big upper body types of guys, even when they have power, they just never have that strong cardio, especially when they're going against guys who are light on their feet, making them move. So I'm inclined to say that if anything, maybe Aspinall actually has the cardio advantage. I do think he has the athletic and the speed advantages. I think he probably has overall better skill set here, but... 
big concern I have with him is we haven't seen him get hit too much, and I do not like his striking defense. He keeps his chin yeah. not like like not just up, but he actually like like raises it up. Like it's crazy yeah. when he throws strikes. Like his chin is so far up in the air. Someone's he, gonna counter him eventually. Oh, sorry, go he's ahead. got he's got the karate man chin. He's like hopping in yes, and out like yes. a karate man. Yeah, yeah, literally. Except he's a heavyweight. Karate, yeah, when you see karate fighters, it's not like they have their chin level. They literally raise it up, and that's what he does. Yeah, and that's gonna catch him at some point at heavyweight. Maybe it's this fight. Maybe it's another one. I don't know. That, that's that's gonna catch him. There's no way he goes another 20 fights in his career or something, and that just doesn't catch him unless he, you know, obviously shores it up. Um, so that's a big, big concern I have for him here. I think we're probably going to get some violence early, but I also think both of them, knowing it's a five-rounder and all this, title fight and everything, I do think we're probably going to see a bit of a slower pace from them. I think maybe some respect from each other, a bit of a feeling out process. Absolutely could see it going over the three minutes. In fact, if anything, I actually kind of lean it to go over the three-minute mark. I think we're probably going to see somewhat of a fight here. Uh, the question is, how much longer does it go? And obviously, is it yeah. on the feet? Is it on the ground? I think if it stays purely on the feet, it's really close, but obviously, Sergey has that huge power the main reason why i'm going with aspinall is if he can use his athletic advantages his speed his footwork and potentially maybe take the fight down uh, the stretch a little bit hopefully he does have a cardio advantage and be the one who's moving more because if people have never trained out there once you start getting tired it is so incredibly hard to keep your footwork up your footwork is like the first thing that goes out the window that's one of the first things i look at to see when a fighter is tiring sergey is already very plotting if he gets tired and just becomes a completely stationary rigid power hook throwing guy aspinall can literally run circles around him so there's a lot of question marks this is a matchup where it sounds like i have a decent amount of conviction but again there's a lot of guesswork here so I mean, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, my breakdown is just absolutely atrocious by the time it plays out because they're so untested. But based on what little we do know about the fighters, that is my current read. So Aspinall by stoppage will be my prediction. I'll yeah. go by round two, by the way, as well. Uh, me too. I think I wrote that he should wrap it up by round two, which kind of leaves the door open for round one slash beginning of round two is kind of where I see it uh, by submission. Uh, I'll probably throw the sub in a I'm round round. submission as well, just for the record, yeah. Which is weird because they, you're getting, they're giving you double the price for submission than for an Aspinall knockout. Um, but I don't want to have to do the choose, Parker. Uh, you know, so I just <laughs> went inside the distance, and I'll probably throw the sub uh, at a nice number um, in a round robin there. But, uh, yeah, I will say we, to your point about being tested, yeah, we haven't seen Sergey Pavlovich have to defend meaningful wrestling since his fight with uh, – his debut against Alistair Overeem, where I took Alistair Overeem at plus money because, again, I'm like, proven product. I know this guy's coming from Russia, and everybody's like, has the fetishization where, like, all Russian undefeated fighters, like, oh, is this the heavyweight Khabib or whatever? And I'm like, well, I don't know. We haven't seen it. I will take the proven product, you know? And that won't always work out. I did that with Volkov opposite Aspinall. And don't get me started on Volkov, Luka, Alexander Volkov. I have the worst <laughs> luck when it comes to betting that guy's fight. Uh, that guy's fights. And, you know, so it doesn't always work out. But uh, to your point, I will I will happily take a proven product um, over an unproven one. But you're right. We haven't seen that much. We have seen Aspinall hit, I will say. He actually did get hit decent in that Arlovsky fight. That's another fight where people point to the cardio. Um, I will say that, like, you know, he didn't really slow down. He was breathing. At least he's breathing, like... Pavlovich, whether he's punching in the ring or 
or everybody's like sharing that beach shadow boxing thing with like oh look at this guy how dangerous he is like he doesn't breathe if you look at he's like he's like holding his breath through all that like it's so, like the ryan bader just like these stiff like weird like yes, it's, it's yeah. like his, it's like his arm is like stuck in position and he just he's like an action figure that just like rotate it's very weird the way he throws his punches obviously very effective but yes. it is not a fluid like rhythm type of like he's not someone who can have good cardio it's just not possible yeah yeah, he's literally, I, I literally describe him, he's literally a refrigerator with, like, giant arms mm-hmm. attached to the sides of it. He, he looks and functions as one, seriously. You put him on a back, he looked like a refrigerator, too. He's like a turtle stuck on his yep. back, you know? like And, and I, that body type, we, we've seen it many times in MMA. Ryan Bader was obviously one yes. I mentioned, but Misha Serkinov, when he came, he was a super hyped prospect. Like, he yeah. totally was a bust, but he was super hyped. And one of the things I said, I think it was either my first or second breakdown ever for him, I think it was my very first one, I was like, I am absolutely mortified by the Ryan Baderness of this guy. Like he just, the stiff, awkward movement on the feet, it's not going to be good for his cardio, not going to be good for the striking defense. And the, the issues that caused Ryan Bader caused them for him. I think Sergey is going to be the same thing. When you have this, these stiff, rigid guys who are not fluid, like there's just some body types that, that are able to be fluid with their motions and others that are not. Yep, yep, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, all right, so it looks like we're both picking Tom Aspinall, but again, folks, this is heavyweight MMA, so don't go put your you know, life savings out there or anything um, on this kind of a fight. Uh, la- la- last thing before we move on, someone in the chat, thank you guys. Hit, hit the like button, please. Appreciate it, and you feel free to contribute to the chat. Action, uh, any action, Effie says, thoughts on Tom's media day quote saying two weeks isn't enough. Time to get ready for a fight, question mark. Yeah, I, I want to keep the same energy as far as, like, short notice. I'm not a big fan of backing guys on short notice. Um, I know, you, you know, you could argue that it's less of a factor in this era. More fighters are geared toward it, and there's truth to that. Um, however, and, and I, I love to point back to the, that recent, again, the Volkanovsky and the Usman, is that, you know, of course the UFC is going to make you believe, you know, um, and lean into all their accolades and how much they have a chance. You know, shout out to Joey Odessa. If you gamble, never watch the countdown shows because they are designed to make you th- to think that the plus 800 to underdog is a chance. It doesn't matter what the odds are. The countdown shows to make you design to think everybody is a chance. And Really, all, all UFC media content, they're designed to sell the fight. And if they're going to go out there and be like, hey, everyone, we have a minus 2,000 right. favorite. They yes. have no chance of losing this fight. There's no reason to watch it. Just catch the seven-second highlight later when he gets the first-round knockout. Right. But we're going to put this as the main event of a pay-per-view and charge 80 bucks for it. No, of right. course not. They're going to be like, man, this this underdog, he's just a, wow, what a tough, gritty veteran. You know, sure. They're going to come up with any angle. And that doesn't worry me. That doesn't surprise me nor you, Luca. But what, what 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 surprises me and gets my eyebrow to raise, both for good and bad reasons, is when whether it's gambling pundits to my media colleagues alike, the the people who should know better are kind of falling into the trap and they're repeating, they're parroting uh, promoter talking points. You're not getting analysis at that point. You're having somebody, you know, uh, whether they whether they realize it or not, they're parroting talking points. And I get it. It's easy when it's likable fighters, former champions, pound for pound greats or ex pound for pound greats. However you want to put it, like Usman or Volkanovski, I, I get that part. I'm not trying to. I get that, but I think people overcorrect and they weren't seeing the the clear elephant in the room. They were getting blinded by the accolades, the spectacle, the personal feelings, the promotion. Instead of looking at the damn elephant in the room, it's a short notice fight. Volkanovski was taking it on seven days. No, listen to the guy himself. He's one of the most confident guys ever, and even he was telling you that he was kind of essentially, if you read between the lines, that he was going out there for the money. How, how is Islam closing at a at a tighter line with all, you know, uh, the people who, who love to bet the Dagestanis out there, right? It's kind of like one of those effects. So for me to go out and now I'm all of a sudden I'm on a short notice fighter, 
again, folks, this is I'm not saying this is a cop out. This is heavyweight. Not only is the cop out or whatever, which is actually true, as we saw from Tyson Fury to Ninganu to MMA, heavyweight is its own thing, folks. It's not like heavyweight boxing is not like boxing. Heavyweight MMA is not. It's it is unfair to compare those sports and have them being represented by heavyweights, which is kind of ironic because that's what we value the most. Um, and B, because they're heavyweights, they don't have to cut weight. Um, it's a little different, right? Um, they're not having to be in. You know, their fight shape is for better or worse kind of the same year around so it's, it's a complete different thing uh in my opinion it doesn't make it any less volatile <laughs> it doesn't make it I'm not, I'm not saying it makes it any less more of a sure shot or any less volatile but what i am saying is those normal hang-ups you hear me speak of um i am depending on the context of course matchups make everything mean everything for me especially stylistically but yes a short notice heavyweight worries me a little less than a lighter weight short notice fight does, does that make sense luca what i'm saying Feel free to yeah, I would, argue. I would, say this, I would say it kind of goes both ways depending on the situation. On one hand, if you have a fighter who's taking a short-notice fight at, say, 170, they have to cut the weight. And that can be absolutely disastrous. Like, people who are maybe not familiar, because obviously you and I have been uh, <clears throat> following the sport for so long. I think you've cut weight before yourself, too, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you're very familiar with it. It's not like you only cut weight the day before with the weigh-ins. Like it's a, it's a process of you're like trickling down your weight, you're like yes. lowering your diet, doing some different workouts. It's a multi-week process to actually do it. And so if you're taking a fight on short notice and you're already out of shape, you know, worse shape than you normally would be in, that's going to make it worse. And you have you know, maybe a shorter timeline for a variety of reasons. The weight cut is really the concern that um, worries me the most with uh, the lighter weights. On the flip side with heavy, one thing that concerns me is, as you mentioned, they don't have to cut weight, and a lot of heavyweights don't fight near the limit. They're like, you know, two. 40, 250-ish, something like that. So a guy like that, he can be out of shape, like kind of badly out of shape, and then basically not really cut weight, just, you know, slightly diet for a few weeks, and then all of a sudden he's in fighting shape again when he's really not. And I think that's absolutely the case what we saw with Tyson Fury. Everyone, of course, and, you know, I don't want to discredit Ngannou because I still think what he did was super impressive there, but if you've ever watched Tyson Fury fight before, it was so clear as day he did not give a flying F about that fight, did not take it seriously, did not train seriously, was out of shape. He looked terrible in the cage. He was like playing around and messing with him. So, you know, if they actually fought again and, you know, Fury was his actual focus self, I think it'd be a much different fight there. But that's the thing is it's hard to tell how out of shape or how unfocused he is because if you have, say, a 170 guy go out there, oh, he missed weight by eight pounds, pretty big red flag, or a 170 or who's always lean because they have to stay in fight shape to cut that weight. They yeah. were out of camp, out of shape. Now they come in soft like Volkanovsky. He looked soft cutting weight for Islam. He looked terrible yeah. at the weigh-ins. Yeah. Um, perfect example. Um, so, you know, in those cases, you can get the red flag at heavyweight. You know, Aspinall, maybe he goes out there, he looks the same as he always did on the scale because he's never been super ripped. Maybe, for all we know, he was a complete fat slob a couple of weeks ago when he took this right. fight yeah. and just barely got into decent shape. So that's the other way that the heavyweight things can go with you is it can be a deceptive bad performance in the makings. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And a great uh, great reference to the Tyson Fury thing, again, again, show at all levels, like, we're not trying to be like tinfoil hat or sour betters here. Like, no, even the best in the world are not exempt from not giving their best or fighting at their best, whether it's outside stuff that they can't control or stuff that they can control or both. Like they're, they're not, you know, they're not uh, beyond being taxed by that. All right, next fight. I'm real curious your opinion on. I'll introduce it. Please take the lead on it, Luca. We've got Mackenzie Dern, minus 205 versus Jessica Bada-Ustake Andraj. I probably messed up the name. Plus 170, the comeback on the former strawweight champion. I wasn't surprised to see Dern as a favorite. 
Um, that doesn't mean I'm picking her. I guess we'll see. Uh, who, who, what are your thoughts on this fight, Luca? I don't know what the hell has happened to Jessica Andrade, but this is not the same fighter from a year ago. Like, talk about the Tyson Fury type situation. Like, watch Jessica Andrade in her last few fights, and then watch her a year ago and try to tell me this is the same fighter. It is bizarre what has happened to her. She signed a very big new contract, apparently, with the UFC. And you would think the result for that would be, okay, because the way it works with the win bonuses, you get double your pay by winning. So you sign a nice big contract, probably want to get wins, right? She has been taking short notice matchups, terrible stylistic matchups, like every type of career sabotage you could possibly imagine. Like, I don't know if her management and her, her team are the ones doing it where they're like, hey, we've got a big contract. Let's just try to bleed this pig while we can. Like, I don't know if that's what's going on where it's other people making her career decisions, but whoever is managing her career, whether it's her or someone else, they are doing off balls if she wants to get back into contendership. But I mean, she might be suffering, you know, several losses in a row here. She's not looked good in the fights. She's looked completely unprepared, completely listless. Like, these are times where 30 seconds into the fight, you know she's dead in the water. She's literally just winging punches at the air, and her opponent's like three feet out of space, like out of range. You're like, what is going on here? This is insane to witness, not the same fighter from a year ago. So the reason you're seeing her such a big underdog here is because of that. Everyone knows she's a fade at this point. The thing is, is it one of those cases where, you know, sometimes you do see this, and it's like, the narrative becomes so strong one way that it almost kind of rebounds the other. It's just the way betting seems yeah. to work once yeah. everybody starts getting the same idea. And so definitely seems like everybody and their mother is on the same page here. Oh, fade, 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 mm -hmm. fade on Drudge. Making me kind of worried about that. You know, obviously there's not like mystical things that work in the betting markets, but just a weird trend throughout MMA history. When you see everybody kind of on the same opinion, it does tend to go the other way and that's not like an anecdotal thing where you just remember sure. the ones no it's like it's actually a thing no. that's why people say fade the public in that so i don't really know what to expect from andrage because she can go out there and be good she still has the skills i don't see why she would be regressed where she can't go out there and do what she did before she has power she has normally actually strong takedown defense she has a better striking here dern has basically zero wrestling ability dern is always in these super nip tuck affairs where she's just struggling tooth and nail so usually get a dominant position with a chance to submit the, her opponent at some point like she'll get back mount and be threatening with that if she gets that on, on andrade i don't think andrade is surviving she's just shown no survivability in her fight she's not just losing she's getting finished so I mean, if Andrade goes back there, goes out there and turns back the clock, like if we, I'll put it this way, and I know it's such a cop-out pick, if we get the actual real version of Andrade, I think she's objectively the better fighter and actually yeah. would probably kind of roll here. The yeah. thing is, I mean, how can you say based on her recent performances, how could you even, you know, with, oh, the weird thing that it goes the opposite way, how can you say, oh, this is going to be the performance, she turns it around? No, like, this is... I guess I, by default, I have to go with Dern as a fade on Andrade, but Dern, again, no wrestling, no strike, striking. She's improving her overall MMA game. Obviously, she's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world champion, but she's not improved as much as you would have liked to have seen. She's not particularly athletic or fluid on the feet. She doesn't fight at a super high pace. She's not threatening or damaging with her strikes. Doesn't have particularly good defense, so her fights are her kind of like flailing and flopping around at the striking, eventually trying to clinch, maybe get like standing back mount, go for like chokes and stuff try to get him to the ground that way it's just not a very like consistent game she's just kind of going out there and trying to make things work so honestly i kind of find both of these to be kind of fades uh, i guess i will go with Dern just because andrage is a bigger fade at this point in time but like i honestly wouldn't put it past Dern to go out there and kind of lay an egg in this one 
you nailed my initial feelings for sure, and they still are my actual feelings walking away despite me ending up on the other side. Um, I didn't disagree. I wasn't shocked at not just Dern being a favored, but even near 2-1. to one. Uh, Not that I would, even if I did pick Dern, would suggest playing it. I know you're not, obviously, um, for the reasons you said, which I agree at. You can't trust her, you know. Uh, she... Let's be honest. She didn't win that Tisha Torres fight. You know I was going to bring that up, folks. When you when you were just going, I was just in myself. Tisha uh, Torres, that Tisha Torres fight. That was another one. That was another one. That was even though it wasn't big money, it was in. It was only like plus one fifty. The decision, you know, uh, and then I had the decision, you know, uh, straight up in the round robin. It was more the round robin. What it was connected to that would have been a big night. That one. But no, that aside, um, I've went ahead and I picked Dern since then. You know. Uh, I'm a big Andrade fan, but you know I saw the difference. She didn't sh- even. I knew that was a short notice fight, and I still picked her to beat Blanchfield. She looked completely different. To your point, Luca looks like a completely different fighter. Stayed away from the Yan fight, and then faded her for the Suarez fight, and nailed that to the exact method round, round two, submission, and all that. Um, and you're right, it, it's been management, and and to be honest, it's been something that Andrade has been public about. And again. Take interviews for a grain of salt. Take excuses for a grain of salt. Uh, outside of the octagon stuff for a grain of salt. What matters is what happens in there. That is about. There's no safe way to go about this, folks. But that is about the most safest and scientific way is to go with the evidence, right? Not saying anything crazy there. That being said, real life does happen. These are human beings, and. Even though some fighters like Dern, we actually saw a better Dern when she was going through a divorce. Divorce Dern was more aggressive with some ground and pound. Even though her wrestling was still kind of garbage, um, she had improved ground and pound and positional ground and pound uh, as far as her ground game goes in that Angela Hill fight, right? Um, But that's not everybody, right? And Andrade, when you're questioning her management, this actually has been going on if you look at it. It's been going on before her losing streak. It's that she was just winning. Even when she was winning, if you look at it before and you look at it, it doesn't really make sense. Like, why are you getting this knockout and then jumping down a division and jumping up? Even when she was winning, it didn't make sense. It was more financial stuff. And this isn't me pontificating or presuming, assuming. This is coming from the horse's mouth herself. You know, she was in a bad relationship. I don't know what the details were. Plus UFC finances, yada, yada, yada. I think she was doing like an OnlyFans, which I know people were making fun of at the time, but she didn't even want to do it. She felt pressured, which just sounds like a really ugly situation, folks. Like that alone, like red flag city, right? You know what I'm saying? Like we don't know what the situation she's in, but that sounds this pretty serious. U- this is the UFC in 2023. You have your flyweight yeah. champion doing Uber Eats and your female yes. flyweight champion or contenders doing uh, OnlyFans. Yeah, absolutely. Bottom line is, is I'm talking about it's financial, right? It's financial at the end of the day. This motivates even champions. Uh, you know, uh, it, you know, it can motivate champions to take a fight. It can also motivate them to not just take a fight, but maybe take a fight not at their best, even if it's Tyson freaking Fury, right? Like we just kind of talked about. Like this, this is this is a, this is a human being thing, folks, right? So who's to say that part of the reason why she didn't look good? was because of that, right? And I try not to lean too much into the woo-woo, and I'll give you actual reasons why I'm picking Andrade here in a second. But also, just while we're talking about the woo-woo, again, I'm a stylistic evidence guy, right? That's not my style. But to your point, this feels like one of those balancing acts. Like, I feel like we just have one of these fights, Luca, where you have someone that's on a win streak and desperately needs a give-me fight, and you're like, why is the UFC matching them up with someone on the way up on a winning streak? This makes no sense, right? And I referenced the fight that I referenced earlier, uh, Dustin Jacoby versus Kennedy Nunchuku, right? Where it was like, dude, Justin, I know people thought Justin Jacoby, you know, uh, you know, he arguably won his fight with Roundtree. The other fights were competitive, but 
at the end of the day, Jacoby was on a three-fight skid going into the Kenny Ninchuku fight. And Kenny Ninchuku was looking like, you know, some giant, you know, uh, you know, version of, like, Khabib learning how to wrestle now all of a sudden. Like, oh, crap, a light heavyweight that's big and athletic that can wrestle? Like, why are you giving this guy to Jacoby? This seems really cruel, right? Now, I picked... How about Tony Ferguson versus Patty Pimblett? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's another one. But, but there's First a fight, fight that... First fight in UFC history, six-fight yeah. winning streak for six-fight losing streak. Like, what, yeah. what are we doing here? Right. But, <laughs> the but, most but, shameless thing ever. But a lot of times these fights, they make no sense. And it's and it's classic trap fight, right? It's like classic trap fight feels. And then sure enough, that person gets back on track against all odds. Now, I, that was a classic thing where I, I picked Ninchuku. But again, I'm like, this, this has trap fight feels. And we've seen the Nunchuku rock, rocked in round one before and put out, you know, put out before or, or hurt before. And uh, Jacoby, you know, even though he gets a lot of decisions, if he does finish people, it's in round one. And they posted a plus 1800. Jacoby round on Jacoby round one, he goes out and he knocks Nunchuku out and he's back on track. Busts up everybody's parlays, right? And even though I got my pick wrong, I obviously wasn't feeling too bad about it because my bet was on one side. And more importantly, I, I, call, I, I called it the, to, I call what you called. We don't like to base our analysis our bankrolls off this by any means luca but you nailed it right there's these fights where it doesn't make any sense and that person wins and not only does this look like that going into it to your point as well it also has the potential to have a classic hindsight where you were like wait a minute we got a firm plus number on andrage who was literally the better fighter in every area minus submissions and was more experienced more proven right um, again, she's really active here and we'll talk about a fighter whose activity could hurt them. But again, these were kind of listless performances and outside of the, the stoppage loss to Yan Nan, which by the way, I don't like think it's a terrible stoppage or whatever. Um, but I think it was not, I, I think it was, uh, you, you know, you could have let it go easier, uh, have a case for that than like Drew Dober, Matt Favola, for example, like Andrade wasn't out, like she was there and she was a good sport about it and she didn't like put up. Uh, a shit fit so maybe that's why people kind of moved on but if you go watch it it wasn't even really a devastating knockout she didn't take she isn't taking like a devastating amount of damage in these fights right um and she went back to work with tatiana suarez who just beat her to work on her wrestling and recorrect that because if you go watch from claudia gadelia to uh, lauren murphy who's not known as a wrestler but she's a physical girl and she shot 15 takedowns and was aggressive that's what you want to see right as far as the analogous for how is she going to do against an aggressive grappler and her takedown defense is awesome. Like, she gives a little bit of back exposure, which costed her in the Blanchfield fight. It was, like, just a classic that would have, you know, and, and, and Dern could absolutely wrap that up, folks. Again, I'm not disagreeing with her as a favorite. She can absolutely win by submission. But when you look at the striking, her chin's up there, the counter hooks, um, the volume, the power, the wrestling. And not only that, it's the back exposure. Like, even though... Dern doesn't even have to submit her. Like you're like, oh, maybe she could rock Andrade, right? Because we're like, in our head, like she got pieced up a little bit by Blanchfield, which, by the way, she was actually landing the more impactful shots and won that first round on a lot of cards. Uh, by the way, right? Again, the only real damage is that Yan fight. But even if you want to say that, okay, I definitely will credit Dern's power I have before. I'm not going to change my tune now. But even when you look at it, when Dern rocks people. And when her bad wrestling gets the takedown, we've actually seen both those things happen, right? Both the anomalies. She rocks somebody and gets the takedown. Most of those times, Dern doesn't get the finish. You know why? Because she rushes her work and she rolls so heavy for her head and arm throws that when they actually do work, she rolls over and ends up on bottom every time in victory or defeat. I mean, you had even, I know it was a while ago, but you even had small straw weights like Hannah Seifers 
um, overpowering her in clench and tie-ups and tossing her around when she couldn't get these. What is a another uh, 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 one of the few athletes who can parody not her size? There's three inches here on height, two inches on length. I'm talking about physical power and athleticism. Andrade absolutely is a parody. And if you look at it, whether it's the slight back exposure that Rose Namajunas gives when she get, reaches for the Kimura and she gets slammed on her head, or you look at any of the other takedowns that Andrade gets, she doesn't really get great takedowns from double legs or anything. Sometimes she'll muscle a single leg, which she could do here, though. I don't think she would because that would give her neck. Um, but if she gets back exposure to where there's no submission threat except maybe a Sakuraba-style Kimura, which, again, she, she shows that she knows how to defend, um... I think that's bad, man. Like, I think that uh, not only Andrade can win by, win, win by decision, but I think she can win by knockout. And not even just by a punch in the exchanges because Dern's defense is so terrible, kind of like your point with Prohachka, Luka. But also off these breaks because she gives her back. Andrade punches in and out of the breaks for one. And even though she doesn't want to grapple with Dern, like, Dern is just asking him to be slammed on her head. She doesn't know how to wrestle. wrestle. I, I don't lay this out as a passive picture. Pull guard awesome. standing too. Dern well, would literally pull guard standing. I could see a slam knockout here. And not even just yep. like the slam knockout unconscious. Like all she has to do is slam her and Dern's wrestling is so bad. She's so flaily. I could see Dern pull, putting an arm out to post and we get like an arm break, you know, stoppage. Yeah. Dude, Dern will try to take the back standing. She'll try to t get mount or uh, standing guillotines. She'll try to like uh, transition like from like there's um, sometimes you'll see fighters where they can transition like um, from a guillotine position to the back or vice versa. Like she tries to do that type of stuff from the standing position, which yeah, like okay if you're if you're grappling in like the, the you know the room in the gym that's one thing, but when you're in an MMA fight where you can get slammed on your head, there's a reason why you don't see that type of stuff too often in MMA. It's not because the fighters aren't skilled to do it. It's because it's yep. extremely risky. And if she's going out there and like, if she actually commits and actually tries to get the guillotine, she is getting slammed into oblivion on the back of her head. Absolutely. And let's be honest. I know Andrade doesn't want to grapple. That seems to be her one thing. But, uh, you know, traditionally, yada, yada. I know, you know, but if you look at it, like Tatiana Suarez, that's top shelf. Aaron Blanchfield, that's top shelf. You look at the way they transition, like they were the perfect transitions that would have gotten a lot of people for what it's worth. And again, I'm not trying to say that, you know, uh, Dern can't submit her or Andrade is a better ground fighter. I'm not saying that at all. But let's not pretend that non-Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belts who compete uh, haven't survived against Dern because they have. And I say that because Andrade is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt who has regularly competed throughout her USC tenure, um, who still competes in grappling competitions, which is rare. Uh, so for what it's worth, again, it's not like she, she can't survive. Uh, uh, would I like her chances? No, especially if she gets to her back, to your point, Luca, right? But again, it's it's not like uh, if she if Dern touches her, she's done because that that's not the case. Dern, for as much as she's labeled a game over grappler, she hasn't been a game over grappler. You know, um, she's even had trouble even getting 10-8 rounds in rounds where she should be getting unanimous 10-8s. Forget the fact that she should be finishing, both for her pedigree and for the literal physical fact of you were earning a 10-8. Okay, you did enough to earn a 10-8. Why didn't you get a finish there? Clearly, you're on the ground within your realm, right? So again, it, it, it's 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 not as clear cut as the odds and the narrative, so to speak. Again, Dern can come out and win this fight, but uh, for the odds, for the experience, for all the reasoning I gave, and the one last reason I will give is that the one thing that she has been improving the most on, and it's not even been the leaps and bounds because again, her defense is still crappy, has been her striking, and that's because the one legit coach she has in her corner is Jason Perillo. You know who's not been in the Instagrams leading up to this fight? Who's not there in Brazil? who is not in her corner this time, and instead it's family members and boyfriends, 
dads and, and boyfriends. Oh, we know how, how great the combination that is, right? We, we, we've seen guys literally beat John Jones and then just lean into their brother's corners and then, you know, ruin their careers, you know, so to speak. I'm not, I'm the greatest. Uh, but you know what I'm saying? Like, we've seen, Sage Northcutt. Uh, we've seen this too many times, right, Luca? I mean, that alone, I think, and I'm not trying to worry anybody who's got money on Mackenzie Dern out there or anything like that. I'm not that kind of a guy. But I'm saying, if I did have a Mackenzie Dern ticket, that would worry me not seeing Jason Barillo out there. And he is not out there, folks. I guess having your girlfriend as your trainer doesn't work in MMA, but it is the best base for bare knuckle boxing because Mike Perry apparently works for him. Oh yeah, yeah, his significant other. That's true. Yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. it will be. Uh, I think it's like his contender series guy, or whatever they're dating or whatever. It's like a this this like big big Brazilian dude. I forget his name, but um, he's out there, and then her dad is, and her dad, by the way, according to Mackenzie Dern. Um, is not the kind of dad that pushed her. He actually was the dad that like didn't want her to fight and hates seeing her daughter get smashed. So mm-hmm. um, you know you you can you you know you can criticize you know uh, you know shout out to my guy Sean Madden and whatnot. I know I know that corner got some criticism for not stopping the what was it the Andrade versus Murphy fight. Like I actually wouldn't be surprised if we got a corner stoppage if it starts looking like that and like you know if it if if it's Andrade of old like you said Luca and it, it, it's that reality where we're like oh no shit. Yeah, she's not getting her down. She's just going to get pummeled, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if her dad uh, fucking throws in the towel for her. So even people saying Dern's durable and won't get KO'd, it's like, A, she can still get freak KO'd from a slam, and B, she might not even need to get KO'd. She could just get beat for two rounds if Andrade actually comes out and does what she's kind of supposed to do. And the last thing I'll say on that, one of my favorite archetypes, Luca, whether they become champs or not, uh, Andrade fits this, is the Brazilian warhorse because RDA is, an, an, a, a, is a version of this, right? Um the Brazilians, man, a lot of the times in gambling, especially when we first got into it, Luca, they really had a strong stereotype of, oh, front runners, front runners, front runners. And that was within fights. But Brazilians if you look- used to have horrendous cardio. It was weird. Right. In the UFC, like in the modern times, because obviously they yes. had done like Brazilian shows back in the day, but like, was it like 10 years ago or whenever they made like the shift back to doing like the shows in Rio and stuff? For those first several cards, they would stack them so that way the Brazilians were all like heavily favored to win their matchups and stuff. And for the most part, they would win. They would be a pretty good parlay fodder, but they were notorious for having cardio issues. Eventually, obviously, it changed. But yeah, it was a very interesting trend in the early days of the UFC or but early the, days of the uh, UFC in Brazil, right, I should say. Totally. But, but the ironic part is you've got these guys like the RDAs of the world, Edson Barbosas, who like longevity wise, they outlast everybody, right? And. You look at it, Andrade's been fighting since 2011. She's 32. Um, and I noticed, like, that Brazilian career arc, like, you know, or that young veteran arc to not be, you know, racial or countryistic or whatever the word. I'm nationalistic with it even. Like, the Jorge Masvidal's, those guys who mature late, they can kind of fit into this category too. It's usually in years 11 through 14, right? Year 12 is right around where, you know, you want to cut off. That's where you you should start seeing declines if you haven't already between years 10 and 12. I, and arguably even before that, depending on the division, depending on the fighter, these aren't hard and fast rules. I'm speaking in generalities, arbitrary generalities here, folks. But yes, 10 and 12 is the general marker. But for these Brazilian war horses, these late bloomers, these young veterans who started late and uh, started early and blossomed late, like the Bobby Greens, the Jorge Masvidal's, it's usually between years 11 and 14. It's usually not in their 20s, not even right when they're 30. It's usually right around 32 to 34, right? Those are the prime ages where these guys, the RDAs, to the for where they want to talk about the Brazilians, the Barbosas, to the non-Brazilians, the Bobby Greens, the Jorge Masvidal's. It's that, it's that, it's that sweet spot. And Andrade, she's been fighting since 2011. 
So she's right in that 12 to 13 marker. She's 32, right in that area, still in the still in that athletic prime area. Um, so you know, even though she's shown the trend that she could be done, we, there could be a, a trap to where we're pulling the trigger and riding that fade and that landslide, and the landslide's not ready to completely go. It was just a it was just a miniature landslide. We've seen Andrade herself come back from these. So could I be wrong? Absolutely. Could she go on a four fight losing streak? Absolutely. Uh, but at these odds, with all these signs, plus the analytics and the style stuff kind of stacking up with it, Andrade plus 171 unit. Andrade by KO will probably be in my round robin. Yeah, I probably won't have any action on the fight myself, but I would agree that it's a dog or pass situation. I can't get behind the 2-1 to one on Dern. And then also, like in these types of spots, while yes, on one hand, like... You know, maybe in hindsight we go, oh man, why, why did we ever give Andrade a chance in hell? She, you yeah, know, once again just yeah. went out there and laid an egg. We should have known, you know, you know, she was done, yada yada. That can definitely be the case, of course. But there's also been so many times throughout MMA history where you've had these types of situations, and then it comes out later, like the fighter in interviews and stuff like that. They'll say like, yeah, I was going through troubles and stuff like that. Obviously, that's why I didn't look like myself in the cage. But then my back was against the wall after I suffered those few losses or two losses, whatever it was, and I knew that if I didn't win this fight, I was getting cut so for that fight this most recent one i finally actually pulled out all the stops again and made sure to give it my focus like if you're on drudge like she can't just go out there and lay another egg here she like has to have a decent performance if not a win and she has to know that as well so maybe this is a performance where whatever the issues were for her in the, in the recent bouts maybe this is the one where she does you know turn it back so for me i think honestly the way i'll be approaching this is from a live betting perspective mm. uh, that's how i approached the the blanchfield fight because i had concerns with the short notice um there for for andrage and uh basically my my angle there was if andrage looked good in the first minute or two i was going to lie better if not i was just going to pass and in the first two minutes she was basically winging three feet short on her strikes so i was like yep that's a pretty easy pass even though she went on to slightly edge the first round there so for this one it'll be kind of a similar thing where i'm going to pass going into the fight i think and then basically try to see how andrage looks in the early going did she actually come prepared does she have any semblance of a game yes. plan this time around is her timing there is her reflexes like what kind of shape is she even in so potentially maybe get some uh, indicators there and then pull it pull the trigger on that because again while it's certainly possible Dern could get a finish if she gets those dominant positions she's generally been someone who's been in very nip tuck affairs and mm -hmm. talking about her lack of strikes her lack of volume a big demonstrative striker like Andrade who lands those big thudding types of shots those are very easy to win rounds with so oh, yeah. if we have say Dern you know just not being very effective and then the last 30 seconds Andrade has her back against the fence uh you know Dern's back against the fence that is and Andrade is flurrying on her maybe it's not a huge flurry that rocks her or anything but they're landing clean her head's kind of bouncing around a bit she's trying to you know desperately block that steals rounds that that wins rounds on the judges scorecards so yep this is a situation where, again, I'll probably do it from a live betting fight by the time it's all said and done, even with the live bets. I don't blame you. The live bet ties into the next fight. We'll go into two two fights here that we did a tape study on. We we got takes and tape study on the main card for you folks, and we're just going to speed through the prelims. These will be faster, but last thing on this one, to tie us into the next one, because you mentioned the live betting, I will say, Dern, uh, speaking of cardio, Andrade does not have the Brazilian cardio uh, that you could stereotype from the days of old. She's got great cardio, whereas Dern, um, again, she actually takes rounds off like a like 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 a Jose Aldo, but worse obviously than Jose Aldo's the man. But she needs she needs her pockets to recoup. So whenever she gets those rounds that she wins, even if they're ten eight or borderline ten eight, like I talked about, um, the the bad part uh, should be finishing those fights. 
But the worst part is, is not only does she not finish the round, but she will always go on and give away the next round. You look at it. She always, in those five-round fights, three-round fights, we've seen her tired in round three, even in three-round fights. It's because if she wins a round and doesn't finish, you can almost guarantee her opponent's going to win the next round. So, folks, if it's if Andrade, if it's a close uh, first round that could have went either way, and then uh, Dern backpacks Andrade, but she can't she can't finish her for whatever reason, look look to bet Andrade, right? Or even if it's the first round and Dern gets a, a strong start and she gets some dominant positions and wasn't able to submit Andrade, but you know that plus number that Andrade was already at is going to be even higher. Bet it because again, if 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 Mackenzie can win a round, she can win a round pretty dominantly. But unless she gets a 10-8, it's going to turn into a one-round fight if it's a three-round fight and you're doing the math at home. If she if her securing a round but not finishing almost guarantees her opponent gets the next round, that means she's essentially fighting a one-round fight, right? And she need and, and and if she didn't get the finish from those dominant positions, is she really going to get the finish in that other round? Especially if that other round is happening after or later in the fight when she's more tired and the fighters are more sweaty. So to Luca's point about live betting, there's actually some real legs to that. This next fight I actually thought was going to be a live betting spot, but we were late because I got so wrapped up into it, Luca. We talk about, you know, early looks and how you warn, no matter how many caveats to warn people, wait for my picks to come out, you know, no matter how many people be like, you want, you're talking out of your both sides of your mouth, it's bullshit. No, no, I say the same thing and I, I will, I will back you up here, Luca. You got to do the tape first, folks. You got to at least do some type of process because you'd be surprised how many times what your brain thinks and when you actually go back and refresh yourself on things you've already seen, fights you've already seen, you'd be surprised on what you thought you thought you thought you saw, etc. And Benoit Saint-Denis minus 225 versus Matt Frivola plus 185 was one of those. Uh, I figured it was going to be a dog fight. I could see why Benoit Saint-Denis favored. He was probably going to be my pick and I was going to move on here. But when I went back to watch the footage... Holy crap, does this guy just get hit with counter right hands all day. And even though Matt Favola, who I didn't finish the Southpaw report on, even with his recent win over Drew Dober, still not a lot of impressive stuff to walk right home about because Favola, who typically pressures, will play against the back foot and kind of play along the fence, which is not greatest to do in MMA, especially a guy like Benoit Saint-Denis, who the reason why I picked him and picked him and made some money off him in rounds two by spraying round two and three against Tiago Moises is because Moises also plays in that inner black line to the cage, right? That that Robbie Lawler kill zone. And Benoit Saint-Denis also has that same kill zone. So I'm like, oh yeah, I'm leaning toward Benoit Saint-Denis here. But here's the thing, here's the thing. Even short notice guys, guys who aren't strikers, guys who aren't good. Sizable guy, Gabriel Miranda or whatever, but that guy's not a striker. He was able to rock Saint-Denis and mark him up multiple times. In fact, you go back to Benoit Saint-Denis' last three fights, he's been hit clean with multiple counter right hands that were really bad. Uh, And that is the one shot you don't want to get hit with uh, by Matt Frivola. And even though I feel like Benoit Saint-Denis is the more powerful offensively, as well as the more durable defensively, right? Again, why he's favored. Why I don't disagree with him being favored. Um... That being said, we if he doesn't finish people, he's in a dogfight. And we know Matt Favola, if he doesn't get finished, hence the live betting, if he makes it out of that first round, we've seen Matt Favola have the durability to not just be in dogfights, but turn and win those fights. Fight his way back to draws and Venata. Later, fight, you know, his fight with Jalen Turner is one of those fights where, like, do I have to lock my room and watch this 10 times? Because every time I've watched it, I've seen it 100 times. And I feel like I always start the fight going, how does Matt Frivola win this unanimously? And then he ends up still winning it. Um, he's one of those dudes who is a dog. And 
I was saying that, okay, I'm going to avoid this fight. Dogger pass, picking St. Denis. Okay, maybe if we can get to two to one, uh, maybe you just sprinkle just out of principle on Favola. Uh, I'm still waiting for a two to one. I haven't played anything yet, Luca, but I'm actually switching my pick. I'm actually picking Matt Favola in New York here. Um, again, activity can be maybe not as detrimental when you're Jessica Andrade, uh, given the context that I gave with her. Whereas Benoit Saint Denis, um, you know, even though he's the more durable guy, he's been on a crazier schedule. Whereas Matt Favola, he's only had one fight this year. He's had plenty of time for that chin to rest. The one thing you worry about betting Matt Favola, as I did back in the day against Poyo Reyes, and boy, what did I right? You know what I'm saying? So. I get it. Like, these things do happen in MMA, and it could certainly happen here if it happened there, right? Um, that being said, the grappling presence, like, Frivola can scramble. He can counter uh, that very well. We've seen him do that even on short notice with Armin Sarukian uh, before with three rounds. Um, I think he can do that here, and it's just going to be a dog fight, man. Um, and and I'm, I'm, I'm essentially taking the dog. What do you got on this one, Luca? Yeah, kind of a weird one. Uh, Frivola, I don't really know what to think of him. He's kind of a brawler. He has some wrestling that he refuses to use for whatever reason. I think that'd be smart of him to do since his durability is not good. His chin is not good. So, I mean, discounting his wrestling since he doesn't choose to use it, he's basically just kind of like a brawler. He has some power. He's aggressive. And, I mean, that's that's pretty much it in terms of his game. So, I do think, you know, in this matchup, uh, I think Benoit is obviously the better fighter, the more skilled fighter, but I do have some concerns. Obviously, the defense, he does get tagged a bit. Not like he's proven against, you know, like big hitters that he's, you know, been able to walk through the fire or anything mm -hmm. like that. So I certainly think he's susceptible to be getting, knock getting knocked out here, but it's one of those cases where it's one fighter is the better fighter in terms of the skill set. The other fighter is better in terms of maybe not necessarily overall finishing potential because, again, Frivola is kind of a glass cannon. He does have the defensive issues himself, but uh, he's certainly more so a finishing type of fighter. He's not going to go out there and probably, you know, win the minute-to-minute, round-to-round. He probably has to actually get the finish or maybe, you know, knock him down, something like that, to actually go out there and win the rounds. Now, of course, there's the wrestling, but not expecting him to use it. So if we're looking at that, I mean, I guess it depends what kind of fight that Benoit chooses to go after here. If he chooses to get in his face and basically brawl with Frivola, well, I mean, I guess it's playing with fire at that point. He's not necessarily going to automatically lose the fight, but it definitely ups his chances a fairly significant amount. If he actually tries to kind of use his technique, maybe use a bit of his well-rounded game, try to work some different aspects versus just standing in the pocket and literally just trading haymakers, because that's what Frivola does. Like I talked about in one of my fight film episodes about um, Alexa earlier this week, that huge fighter and he has this huge power and that's why he gets these knockouts. But as we talked about earlier, he's actually very technical and very strategic. Yes. Um, and, and in the case of um, uh, Benoit here, uh, he can certainly be the more strategic fighter here, but in the case of Frivola, he's not very strategic, so it depends on if Benoit is going to actually choose to be the one to be strategic, right? It's like there's two types of fighters who get knockouts. There's ones who are strategic and set up things like mm -hmm. Alex, and there's ones who are like Ngannou who just kind of go out there and flail around and land big punches. That's what Frivola is. He just flails around and he lands big punches. So if you are tactical and technical in the striking with him, you can get advantages on him. But if you're just going to choose to just flail yep. in the pocket with him, he's very good at that. You are playing his game. It's, again, not to compare Frivola to Ngannou because he's obviously a much different fighter, but it's the equivalent of like, oh, I'm going to fight Francis Ngannou. Oh, yeah, what's your game plan? I'm going to go and stand two feet in front of him and just wing hooks. You'd be like, you're a dumbass. You're going to lose. You're going to get knocked out. So... 
you know, Benoit, he does kind of like to do that stuff sometimes. Is he going to do it here? That's what scares me. So I still yeah. have to favor him because he, he is a better fighter. But, I mean, as you mentioned, there's oh concerns with that defense. No, you, you, you absolutely nailed the dynamic. Uh, but the reason why, again, why I picked for Vol is because I believe that I don't think he will. I believe that he only has one gear, you know? Uh, at first, I thought maybe because he was rocked and he just had that military mindset. He was just pushing forward despite the fight should have been stopped against Easy Dos Santos. Of course, I was on that inside the distance line. Oh, and then that's why I was getting I was getting PTSD flashbacks from that when I saw the ref not even being urgent to step in and stop the fight on the faculty. I was like, not again, not again. Sorry. So it was probably added PTSD. But back to this fight. Um, I don't think he has it. I think that's just his one speed and that plus his defense. And I think that's also what limits his arsenal because I noticed uh, for Vol- uh, the left hand is going to be live. Uh, obviously, that's what Drew Dober was rocking Frivola with both to the body and head. Um, but outside of that, against Luis Pena and Jalen Turner, the other southpaws, it was the knees and the check hook that was the common culprit for Frivola. And Benoit St. Denis doesn't really throw either of those. He'll occasionally throw a right hook, not as much as a southpaw should. Again, I always stress that. That's, the number, that's one of the shots you should never leave home without. But he gets so aggressive back to that mindset and detriment to his defense that even his offense gets pigeonholed to just a power left kick and a left cross. And just like I forgot to mention the Alex Bedeta thing on previous breakdowns, and I wanted to make sure I mentioned it in this as far as him getting finished in late rounds, as that, that, that showed to be apropos, right? Um, even in the Blockwitch fight, he won and didn't get finished, but he you know he, he, he lost focus and gives up a late takedown when he probably could have got the finish again in round three. But, like, yeah, like, with the Bonfim fight, I remember watching the Bonfim fight with St. Denis, and I'm like, this guy spams left kicks, and I love it. But as somebody who spams those kicks, and as kickers, like, from John Jones or Yair Rodriguez, as good as those guys are, uh, they don't limp off the battlefield, even in victory, for no reason, folks. There's a price for kicking. And I forgot to say this against Tiago Moises in my breakdown. Uh, not that it mattered, although it, it was apropos. Is that, I'm like, this guy's going to fuck up his feet. I don't know if it's going to cost him a fight. But this guy's gonna fuck up his feet with this approach. Even not even I wasn't even t- talking about the defensive encounters, which are apropos for Favola in this match. I'm just talking about his own health, right? And then he goes and beats Moises like I thought. He gets it done in round two, right? Um, like, like I bet and played. I, I know I played two rounds there, but again, round two or three was the finish call. But if you look at his feet in that fight, he's got like almost like a busted toe. It was gross. Like I, I almost wanted to, it didn't get as much attention because they had to move on. But it looked almost worse and like a similar injury to the Chael Sonnen John Jones one, to where you know if 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 if, if John Jones realized or Chael Sonnen hung on a little longer, like Chael Sonnen could have finally had a UFC title on his knee. You never know, right? Like kind of a thing. Like it was a bad injury, right? And so apropos, I forgot to mention it, but it was right there, and it looked really bad. Now I haven't seen his foot bandage when I went through to look, and I did look at all his training since that fight on his Instagram. It doesn't look like he's like got the Volkanovski where he's got the you know another. Sign one billion, why we should have known that result was going to happen. Um, we don't see any, like, bandages on his foot or anything. But that fight that I'm talking about, folks, that was September 9th. That was barely two months ago. And the Bonfim fight before that, that gave me that tip-off, that was only three months before that. Uh, two months before that, July 1st. So this guy's been on a heavy schedule this year, whereas Frivola is coming in, coming in fresh and on home turf. So... Um, that was one other thing that kind of, uh, you know, it's a little more woo-woo, but is also kind of stacking the scale as for why uh, if I see a plus 190, much less a plus 200, I'm going to wait. I think parlay money will come in. I think I can still get closer to 2-1 to one on Frivola. Um, I'm going to wait 
Uh, I'll play him that way if I play him. And if I play him, it'll only be for a unit. And I'm probably going to throw him in a round robin. So if I don't play him and I want to be smart and manage my bankroll, I can at least have some peace of mind to where if he does hit, at least hopefully I'll, I'll, I'll earn something from that by having his money line kicked for coverage in the round robin. That's all I got on that fight. Any, anything else on that one, Luca? No, it's a tricky one for the reasons we mentioned. It's going to be a pass for me. Yeah, I don't blame you for passing. That was originally my thought. All right, uh, last one we're really going to break down here, folks, and I'll just do a speed run through the prelims so uh, me and my guests can get out of here. But, of course, kicking off the fight, we got Pat Sabatini. Uh, I'm trying to pull up odds here. He opened as a favorite, uh, but money came in on Lopez to where it's practically a pick And, of course, my stuff um, isn't loading. So, Luca, tell me what you got for this fight. Interesting one here. Uh, obviously, Lopez, he does have the grappling ability, not so much the wrestling ability. He does have a size, reach, kind of height advantage here. So be interesting to see, basically, it's kind of an old-school matchup of, like we were talking about earlier, actually, the, the wrestlers who kind of took over in the earlier uh, 2000 range, where they just basically get on top and do nothing and just fight off submission attempts and pray the judges gave them the decision. It's kind of what Pat Sabatini probably has to do here in this fight. He probably yeah. has to get takedowns and... Just hold on for dear life, not get submitted, and hope that the judges also still give him the uh, scores. So that's kind of the dynamic at play here. Like, it's not like Sabatini has particularly good striking, not like he has particularly threatening submissions of his own. Lopez, obviously, if he could get in top position, that'd be best for him, but probably not going to happen. So it's kind of like that old-school grappling matchup of a wrestler versus a grappler, but... You know, how, how is the actual offense going to play out? That is the question here. Because obviously, as we mentioned earlier, the way the scoring works now, if you just sit on top and do nothing, you're not winning the round. So Sabatini will have to do some offense of his own. But also, he has to fight off the submission attempts in an effective way. Because if he's just fighting them off for like three minutes of the round and he's in these deep choke attempts or something like that, he's still probably going to lose the round in that, in that uh, sense, even if he gets, you know, a little bit of ground and pound or something going. So... It's an interesting dynamic for that reason, and that's also one of the reasons why it's a hard fight to pick because, as we talk about, these judges, you don't really know what they're going to score because certain judges have certain biases, and it depends which judges are the ones scoring the contest for which uh, which rounds are going to go to which fighter. There are certain judges who are more favored towards the lay and prey wrestlers. There are certain judges who are more favored towards the damage. So it'd be nice if we got the judges' names in advance. We could handicap the matchups with the judges and refs in mind. For example, oh, I like this fight to end in a stoppage. Who's the ref? Oh, it's a ref who basically always lets fights go on and doesn't like to stop them. That could actually play a factor into your bet yep. betting analysis. Same yep. thing if it's the reverse. It's a ref who stops them early. And these are real factors in the matchup. Yep. So... It's unfortunate that we have to just kind of go in blind with those, but this is another one of those matchups where, you know, this is also the type of fight where it would depend, you know, who the hometown guy is, who the yeah. ref is in terms of stand-ups, who the judges are, you know, who's the crowd, which side they are on. This is just a high-variable type of matchup, so not an easy one. Yeah. one to, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 please go, go, go. I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, not an easy one to uh, to break down. It's one that, you know, I hate to kind of cover all bases on, but it's one of those matchups where the dynamic seems pretty clear that it should be takedowns yeah. from Sabatini, and then it's just about can he fend off enough submissions and do enough to actually win rounds. I don't think he's going to finish, finish mm -hmm. here himself. I think his path is uh, a decision. Yeah, no, absolutely. I feel like, by the way, I feel like it. if we had that information, I feel like it would be more useful for the arguably for the refs than the judges, um, especially for matchups like this particularly. 
Uh, but like refs, it's like okay, you got like, and then you know, uh, Mark Smith's a real nice guy. Did the course and whatnot. Dan Margliata seems like a nice guy, but both those guys have like a kind of a <laughs> energy, a really unpredictable energy. Um, yeah. They can be, they both can be influenced by like doctors or outside officials when you have those weird like Weidman Musasi type moments. Seems or, like they're always on a hair trigger where they're just like, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, okay, I'll do this. Yeah, Big Dan's like, well, no, 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 no laughing, no, no, no shit talking. Or, you know, the docus, Kevin Holland, Big Dan was also on those. And, of course, I lost bets on all those fights because of the way they were adjudicated, of course. Um, you know, so it's a little nervous, whereas there's some guys that are just like, and, again, these are these are fine referees, Keith Peterson, Kerry Hatley, Texas Commission. But those are Kuma, those are more Kumite-style refs. Those are guys who aren't going to stop fights, which is why I got so upset when I lost that fucking Jimmy Flick uh, fading him into round two. Um, when, when Kerry I mean, Hatley does Kerry the Hatley, one random yeah. early stoppage, like he, what? He has like, there's like some old school gifts of this dude, like letting fighters just get murdered in the cage. Yes. Yeah. That Texas style. But that's why I said, that's why I compared the Texas to Brazil stereotype there. That's where their commonalities kind of come into play and how they, uh, you know, it's Kumite rules out there. Was he the ref? And there's like this one famous, uh, oh, it's like, it's probably the worst ref performance in MMA history. It's like probably 15 years old. Olaf Alfonso. I don't know if you're familiar with that name. Oh yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Where I don't know if it was him dude, though. Oh, yeah. I don't know which ref it was. Wasn't it Shorely? Wasn't I, it John Shorely? Oh, I think it actually was Shorely. It was yeah, John I it was Shorely. Shorely. I think it was John Shorely. I know yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah, it was John Shorely. Yeah, where <laughs> this man, Alfonso, gets hit with, I believe it was an overhand right, like like a Francis Ngannou absolute nuke. The dude goes out cold, and his mouthpiece goes like 10 feet across the octagon. The ref goes, hey, look, he's unconscious and getting punched in the face. But you know what? I should go get his mouthpiece first. I think that takes priority. So the ref saunters over to the other side of the cage. Well, this dude's just like dead. Just, just yeah. dead over there. The kid, just dead. Just getting bombed Dude. on. And he's just like, oh, let me get the, let me get your, your mouthpiece. Oh, you need your mouthpiece. Oh, you don't have any teeth anymore. I guess great, you know. great saying, shout, yeah. great shout. No, that was a great, that's a, that's an old school shout. Seen yeah. that, look up. Go watch that I, I don't one. know how to find it. Just Google like Olaf right. Alfonso getting knocked out yes. or something. Yes. Come up. yes, but back to the, uh, but back to this fight, and uh, I dare say. In defense of the judges, but to also highlight your point, this is going to be one where you don't know where they're going to be leaning to your point. I, I completely agree yeah. with you there because uh, this is one where I would, you know, it, it, this. I'm hoping we get a fun grappling match, but if we get the match I think we could get and hope we get, it's also going to be hard to adjudicate if it goes to the decision. Now, I ended up um, jumping on the Diego Lopez side at plus 110 because even though I'm a big Pat Sabatini fan and I don't want to be reductive about his game, I think it's... I think he can do other things. I even think he's a better striker than he's given credit for. But again, Luca, you nailed the dynamic. To your point, he has to play that more reduced, pared-down game. But that's also not going to score him well if if we're really you know going by the letter of the law, right? If if everybody's is is reportedly swimming in the same direction toward the criteria, um, toward the more effective striking and grappling, um, the attacker, whether it's strikes or submissions, even from bottom, should be Diego Lopes. And again. I dare say twice now, in defense of the judges, we have seen them be better about awarding the bottom fighter. Um, again, I feel like I was insanely lucky to get this decision, so I don't want to hold it as some like uh, infallible example, but just because it was recent, Kanako Murata lost to uh, Vanessa Demopoulos or whatever that was, right? Mm. Uh, and so even though it's still an anomaly, um, it's it you know to the in the judges' defense and in the defense of swimming toward criteria where we're air quotes supposed to be all unifiedly swimming toward um 
you know, at, at least they are trying to stick to their own things and go against these classic things that we've complained about forever, right? So with that in mind, if it does go to decision, I feel like uh, Diego Lopez can still win. And even though plus four or 500 is kind of tempting, I still kind of would even want more than plus four or 500 for that uh, to throw it in a round robin, especially because as much as I love Pat Sabatini, um, we've seen, you know, whether it's random strikes or rather random, you know, arm pops like in the CFFC, right? He hasn't been technically submitted, but he's been caught in precarious positions and had his arm popped out, folks. Like, weird stuff can happen to this guy. You know what I'm saying? And as far as height goes, another thing, I'm not a big size guy either, Luke. I'm not like a size queen. Like, look at the weigh-ins. Look at their size. Look at the reach. Like, I barely talk about that shit, right? That being said, I've always noticed that Pat Sabatini lists himself at 5'9", and he looks like a short 5'8". You know what I'm saying? Mm. He looks like he's 5'8", and he's doing the Tinder 5'9", but even his 5'8", is probably closer to 5'7", than yeah, it is 5'9". In every matchup, he just seems like small, yes. like short reach, short height. Whereas I forgot that Diego Lopez was listed at 5'11 when I saw him in person. But even then, in hindsight, and now re- refreshing myself, collecting myself, knowing that he's 5'11, I just saw Diego Lopez in person at UFC Noche Luca. This guy looked six foot. He looked massive. He looked yeah. massive. Well built, not like fat, tall, well built, just filled when, the F out. When you watch tape on them and then you look at the stats, it doesn't seem like there's only supposed to be like around a three, three, well, maybe yes. even two inch difference here. It, it seems like it should be more like four to five. Now, I guess we'll see it weigh-ins in the state, uh, sta- right. like the stare down and everything. But it is like noticeable on tape that just looks like Diego was just like a much like rangier, like, like honestly a weight class up. And that's, that's kind yes. of like a cliche thing to say like, oh, he looks a weight class bigger, but he like legitimately looks like these are two different weight classes. Like Absolute, when Islam and, and, uh, and Volk were in the cage, it was like, Yep, these are two different weight classes. Like, when they were standing next to each other, like, Islam dwarfed Volk. Absolutely, yeah. And, again, I'm not very big into that, but as you know, Luca, the betting public, the general pop, they are influenced by that. So, knowing that, uh, that's why, if you follow me on Action Network, I actually, you know, unlike me, I actually picked this bet up a couple days ago, a, a bit early for me. I usually wait to the end of the week. But I'm actually, between who's hot and who's not and the popularity contest... For one, I'm surprised this line didn't flip. But regardless, if it was going to flip or that or not, I will in a bit uh, sure shit, uh, bet that uh, it'll flip when they, they see these guys square off on the scales tomorrow. So I got in a little earlier and got the uh, uh, more closer to the opener price. Lopez plus 110. I went 1.5 units on that. I just went big on the dogs, man. If, if I'm getting good value and I'm convicted enough to pick and play the dogs, um, I bumped it up to a 1.5 instead of a one unit. So that that's... That's where I'm at on this one. I don't know if I have anything on my round robin. I think I just kick for coverage because I got the plus money. Yeah, this is a very tricky one from a betting and even a picking perspective. I mean, yes. uh, I guess I don't think I gave my prediction. Ultimately, I'm going with uh, Lopez for the official prediction. But this is one where if it hits the scorecards, honestly, I expect to be like, well, I think this is my score, maybe. And I have no yeah. clue what the judges are going to get. Like, I, I think it's going to be one of those where you see all the people on Twitter being like, uh, I think 29, 28, but who knows what the judges are? Oh, I definitely have it this way, but who knows what the judge? I think yeah. it's going to be a who knows what the judges type of case. Exactly. And again, in, in, in defense of the judges, those are kind of the harder ones to call uh, these kind of scrambly high paced matchups. So uh, I, I, I will say, real okay, go quick, ahead. No, uh, no, please live- go ahead. Yes. On the live betting note that we were talking about before, mm. sometimes you wouldn't think these matchups can actually be some of the better ones because what will happen, I don't know what these odds makers are doing sometimes, they will over-adjust to such an extreme degree where you'll be sitting there watching the fight being like, 
it's a pretty clear 1-1 or probably a 1-1 or maybe, you know, it's like one of those mm -hmm. fights. Like We're talking about this. We're like, who knows how the fight's being scored? It's very even in round three and like one guy will be plus 600. Yeah. It's just like, what, what are you doing here? Like, And that'll probably be Sabatini. Flow. And that'll probably be Sabatini because probably, they're like, yeah. well, he, he hasn't been subbed yet and he spent more time on top. But again, back to the criteria and, and judging, that's why it's kind of important to know these things and know these trends and pay attention to what the trends mm -hmm. are. Because, yeah, if you see a plus 600 Sabatini, but they're, even though they're small arguments, even if it's like 60-30% arguments and Lopez is on the 30% side on both those rounds, there's still 30% chance he won those rounds mm -hmm. and it's not represented in a plus 600 or higher number. So go ahead mm -hmm. and fire if you, if you see something stupid like that. And they do that all the time. It's usually in round three where you'll see those really crazy lines because when it's early in the fight, there's yeah. still obviously a lot of time to rally and stuff. But there'll be these like situations where it's like, again, it's like, you know, it's 1-1 one, one, and it's like 60 seconds into round three and like one person has like the advantage in the clinch and they're like, oh, minus 800. And you're like, this, this isn't even a dominant position. Like, like yeah. what are you doing? And then they back away and like they eat one flurry and then it's like a pick em again. You're just like, okay, I'll hedge for free money. Thanks. Yeah, I need to be better about live betting. Uh, I'm just going to speed through these uh, through the prelims. I'm not going to really break anything down because I didn't do any hard tape. I will say that I'm looking at uh, Jared Gordon, uh, minus 218 over Mark Madsen, plus 180. That, that line skyrocketed. Um, I was looking to throw him in a, in a parlay, but uh, for sure uh, he will be my round three flyer for the prop squad. So look at that. Uh, Mark Madsen, you know, tends to fade. And even though Jared Gordon's a grinder, I do wonder if, uh, you know, he has some rightful uh, 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 sour grapes toward the judges after that Patty Pimblett one. And, uh, you know, hoping he doesn't do the uh, Brazilian stunts we saw last week. And if he gets a, a guy looking for the check and is gassed, he uh, knows what to do with him, hopefully. Yeah, that's a interesting matchup because Mark, he's very much underperformed based on like his credentials yes. and like what you would think. Obviously, he was up there in age and he's almost 40 years old. So I'm sure that is part of it. But his wrestling has not looked what you would expect at MMA. And like that's that's his thing. So uh, he basically just kind of goes out there and kind of is in these even fights with fighters. And then, as you said, he gasses. So yep. I definitely could uh, see, see Gordon getting the rally there uh, or not a rally, but uh, getting the uh, late finish on a, a tired Madsen. Yeah, especially because Gordon mixes strikes and wrestling and pace. So as long as you're just making Matson work, and uh, he's not like an explosive, too too crazy of a finisher. So we'll see. Um, Alessandro Costa plus 170, Stephen Ursig minus 205. I don't know if I have time to look into this matchup, but I would only want to look into it because I like Alessandro Costa. Um, he reminds me of a smaller, perhaps not as sexy version of Diego Lopez. Um, as far as just, you know, he's, he's kind of got skills all around the board. Uh, he was able to cash that and make, make that money back from that flick uh, money that I wasn't able, to, that I missed out on from the premature Charles Johnson stoppage with Kerry Hatley. Of course, I, again, I, I love fading them first-round fighters, folks. And, of course, I played round two uh, for Costa, I believe. I probably did round two or three uh, and three, but, yeah, ended up cashing there. We'll see because that, you know, that could be a closer fight. Uh, Goodinez. Was looking to maybe throw her in something, but again, you could get like a weird split fight, even if it's a clear Godinez fight. Um, but um, I'm definitely leaning toward Godinez. Obviously, leaning toward Rebecca. Um, part of me was thinking putting Rebecca, Joshua Van, and Gordon together, because uh, even even though I hate parlays and they're stupid, and you should never do them, and Luca should be shutting off the screen right now because I mentioned a parlay. Uh, part of me w w before like I saw the dog shot I liked. Part of me was looking I'm like, 
let me get something that I can put a unit on and get like get my 1.5 back, you know, um, you know, uh, especially if I'm like doing stuff like with Gordon where I'm playing like the round three prop where it's sexy, you know, there, there's analysis, there's justification, but you play money lines for a reason, you know, real betters play money lines for a reason, folks, because you kick for coverage, right? You're still taking home some cash at the end of the day. So, uh, you know, trying to find fun ways to play them. Um, yeah, pretty much favorites across the board. Uh, it was going to be my picks. I'm leaning toward, uh, I, I believe he's a southpaw, Nazim Sidyukov, from my memory, minus 125. I'm going to stay away from that fight with Borishev. And, uh, yeah, anything in the prelims that jumps out to you, Luca, do you want to say before we get out of here? Uh, Jamal Emmers, you know, he, I feel that like he's been pretty overrated. You see him as a uh, potential spot where you could suffer another L here unexpectedly. Yeah. Yep. Um, there's, uh, like you said, the, the, the Gordon one, potentially. That's actually one I'm going to be looking at from a live betting perspective based on some of the things I mentioned. Uh, potentially see maybe it's a very close fight in the early going, but we know that Madsen's going to tire out. So maybe you can get Gordon instead of being minus 220 pre-fight. You get him maybe at a pick him in round one or round two, and he yeah. still goes on to win. So that'll be something I'm looking at. I will say on the parlay note before, because it's interesting, parlays still are kind of a somewhat misunderstood topic, it seems, out there in the betting mm -hmm. space. Probably always will be as long sure, as sure. time goes on. Uh, parlays, it's not that you can't profit on them. In fact, in the sure, first yeah. several years, in the first several years of my career, I like not exclusively did parlays, but when I would do large favorites, those would exclusively be parlays. So if I did a minus 200 or over, I would always do them a parlay in my earlier careers for the first, like, I don't know, four or five years. But then eventually I realized, and I did all sorts of math and analytics on this, that basically as long as you are a winning parlay better, if you were to actually bet both of those as straight bets instead, you would actually make more profit long term. Uh, the way parlays work is it's basically just a rolling if bet. All it does is it takes one bet from the parlay, that risk amount plus the profit, and then it just rolls that onto the next bet. And then if it's a two-team parlay, that's how you, you get the parlay, parlay result. So that's all a parlay is. You're not actually getting better odds. You're not getting any sort of extra value. All it does is actually take control out of your own hands and add some extra uh, variance to the mix. So long term, you'll actually be up slightly more if you straight bet versus parlay, but parlays are still profitable. So I see some people be like, oh, parlays are the best thing ever when that's not true. But then I also see some people say, oh, parlays are the worst thing ever. No, you can't win at them, yada, yada. And that's also not true. The, right. the truth is very much in the middle. Absolutely. And uh, a lot of times parlay involves chalk. And, you know, MMA is not like other sports. The chalk in MMA is a little more dangerous. And I think, and me, me included, folks, uh, I'm not beyond this, but I think that can kind of put a bad taste in a lot of our mouths. So when you're hearing us speak like that, that's something else to keep in mind to Luca's point. Um, no, that's great. And I will say, lastly, uh, Kyung Ho Kang seems to be a popular dog over John Castaneda. But for one, I, I like John Castaneda. I think he's underrated. He doesn't get enough credit. And even though uh, I, I think I'm going to pick Kang here, uh, plus 110 or even earlier, like plus 125, still wasn't juicy enough for me to, you know, to, to, to lay it down. It's not a big enough dog, especially, you know, even though I know I did plus 110 Lopez, but that was a much more clear dynamic, uh, at least in my opinion, um, for a close fight. And, uh, and, uh, as well as, uh, you know, w with Kung, uh, his decisions can be a little closer, uh, not as much of a striking threat, whereas Lopez, like I, I, I laid out, I'm getting him for the same price, but he's more of a three dimensional threat. I can see him winning decision, knockout or submission. So kind of justified that for more in, in my own eyes and math. And again, uh, it also depends on what I'm exposed by. I'm, I'm prioritizing fights that I'm paid to break down. First of all, for my job. I'm prioritizing main card fights because I am both paid to break those down, and those are generally not always, as we see with the fight night heavyweight 
uh, slop in the apex, but generally it's the fighters with more sample size. And we all have different styles, but I know Luca, you're a, you're you're a big guy as far as uh you know it, it, it. Known products are better than some guy we don't know off the contender series. I know that sounds like a crazy thing to say, but <laughs> obviously I'm preaching to the choir there in that regard. Yeah, it's just like we were talking about earlier with, you know, say some of the unproven nature with some of the matchups. Like we don't know, example, what Aspinall or Pavlovich is going to look like, say, in round four or round five in this matchup if it goes that long. That's the case with all those low-level low types of fighters. Yeah. You're talking about guys who are just nothing but unproven. The fighters that they've actually faced and looked good against are usually extremely low-level where it's like any UFC caliber opposition is going to destroy them. So. It's a situation where with, uh, you know, the lesser experienced, more unproven guys, like you have to remember, like, how do you win and how do you bet on fights? You have to analyze some sort of data to make your opinion, right? What yep. is the data that we're analyzing? It's fight footage. Like, I don't, obviously interviews are uh, to an extent, obviously stats, I guess some people factor those in and to an extent they have their place, but that's based on fight footage. Yep. At the end of the day, you need to actually see them fight and how they performed in those fights to get your opinion of them, to get their, your opinion of their skills, to get your, opin their, your opinion on the matchup. You know, they could be a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt and go out there and be a poor grappler. We've seen yep. that. It, it, it happens. Uh, Kevin Holland's a BJJ black belt and gets grappled all, all the time by people. So um, in the case of tape study, it can't be understated enough that like that yep. that's your data. Like I yep. see people always like, oh, man, they said in this interview, or oh, they trained with this camp, or oh, this person hyped them up. It doesn't matter. What matters is the actual fight footage at the end of the day. Absolutely, and stats are drawn from those footage, and human beings make those stats, and that's why they're incorrect. It's not because, you know, there are legit stat people. I'm not trying to shit on them when I shit on stats, but, like, for example, mm -hmm. Jessica Andrade, I went to look at her takedowns, and guess what? Uh, no one really hits her with the head and arm throw, by the way, because I went and looked at every credited takedown. And you're like, oh, Tisha Torres took her down? I don't remember that. You know why? Because it, she didn't. It shows that Tisha Torres successfully took Jessica Andrade down twice. That didn't happen, right? Everyone's, you know, saying, oh, what if Yuri Russell? So I said, okay, I'll go and post his one one attempt he only has one attempt and one completed takedown in the ufc and i posted it and how silly it was and it was actually a defended takedown and you know reyes drops gilly and people were in the comments going this isn't a takedown and getting mad at me like i'm putting out misinformation i'm like no you're missing the point of the thing yeah this is why is stats are stupid <laughs> this is why stats yeah. are stupid you have to actually watch the tape to see what the heck is being talked about there is mm -hmm. so much phantom shit like i think like mac Khani, jason knight they literally have like the control time flipped around. <laughs> it's like not, oh, wow. it's a complete different stat. Like, but if you were to go off these things, these are these are these are legitimate stats. So if you weren't going to back and watching, that's why I hate it. Like, well, I ran the stats that only cover their UFC fights, not their whole career, and they don't cover nuances or stylistic matchups. And they say this, so this must be true. It's like, okay, even if we can wipe away the context and the nuance, that is important. Let's just say it's not. You're still operating off false freaking numbers. So mm -hmm. shove the stats. No offense and, to stats, and the people, way but shove the stats up the ass. I'm sorry. <laughs> and stats are stats are never going to have like a definitive place in MMA because of the sample size. You're always talking about like like Jim Miller has the most fights in the UFC. It's like what like around 30, like yeah, or, or, or most wins or whatever. But was it most wins, most fights, whatever it is? He has like around 30 fights. I think it's like was it 20 wins, 30 fights, something like that. I don't know. Too many yeah. stats to keep up with these days. Sure, but sure. My my point my point is is like. If you're looking at like uh, matchups in terms of the sample size, you're talking about extremely limited numbers. You're about usually yeah. a few fights from a guy, maybe a handful. Compare this to say like Major League Baseball, you have hundreds of at bats, one maybe season. thousands. Right? Yeah, exactly. In one season, and so in MMA, you're just never going to get that. Not only that, 
in MMA, you have such a different type of style matchup in every every single one where it's like in pitching, maybe you're looking at, oh, how do they do versus left hand versus uh, right hand or maybe versus yeah. different types of pitches. In MMA, it's like, oh, hey, look at this guy. He has amazing, incredible striking offense stats, incredible striking defense stats. He has six fights in the UFC. They were all decisions. This is a lot of data relative to other fighters, right? Oh, well, he faced all pure Brazilian jiu-jitsu fighters. Of course, his striking stats were amazing. Yes, yeah. Same as like... Same as like, uh, I remember Alvin, uh, Albert Tumanov back in the day, for some reason this stands out to me. I remember going into his fight against Gunnar Nelson. Everyone was talking about how, oh man, this dude has like the most insane elite bulletproof takedown defense. And I remember my whole talking point there was, are you aware that no grapplers have tried to take him down and literally he stuffed takedowns from strikers? Yeah, yeah. Like that doesn't mean anything. Yep. And then what do you know? Flash forward, it turns out since then, the dude has no takedown defense or ground game. Shocker! It's almost like when you face grapplers, it's different than facing strikers. So stats still have certain places, but generally speaking, you're never going to be able to look at like a matchup and go, this guy has a better control time. This guy has a better this, that. There's, there's the read. You can't do that. Maybe it's a way to supplement other info along with the tape study, but you have to tape. Privileged to, to, to have it here on the program. So grateful for your time. But if people want to get more of your information, more of your analysis... Uh, again, I know you said at the front of the show, but while we're on our way out of here, finally, folks, don't worry. Uh, hit, hit, hit the audience. Where can they find you if they miss the first go-round? Uh, so I do some free content on social media. I also do some free content on my Patreon page. Uh, for example, this week I uploaded a free breakdown earlier in the week for the main event of this card. I also did a free breakdown of a fight film episode for uh, Alex. So broke that down on the monitor here. Went over actual fight footage drawn on the screen and stuff of the telestrator uh, tele thing. So uh, basically I do those every single week. Those are one of my more popular things because as we talk about with the tape study, a lot of people don't want to sit there and slog through 15-minute decisions or 25-minute decisions, or even when they're finishes, just fight after fight, you know, it's not exactly the most entertaining thing. So I get right to the meat and potatoes, show you some of the pivotal, pivotal aspects of each matchup. So far, they've always been playing true in the matchups as well once they've actually taken place. So that's been very good. And then, of course, I also have the premium content. More of those are available. A bunch of other picks and all sorts of bets and everything. Way too much stuff, honestly, to uh, mention here, but that can be found at patreon.com slash furiesfightpicks. And I also have a bunch of bets up now for this card. Nice, nice. Give him a follow. Uh, check his stuff out. Uh, dude's been in, been in here forever. I hate to use the word OG because I feel like I'm going to be slowly going down that road. Um, but yeah, man, you're definitely OG in this space. So we're going to recap and get out of here. Thank you guys for being in the chat. Hit the like. Uh, hit the subscribe. Um, MixedMartialAnalyst.com, of course. Uh, hey, my, my guy D loves Turmeric Tonic as well. Uh, shout out to them. TheTumericTonic.com. Use code PROTECT15 for 15% off. Um, all right, going to recap picks and plays. Uh, taking Poetan, baby. Poetan, Spareda over Prohachka. Uh, taking Tom Aspinall over, uh, as I like to say, especially maybe if he comes in a little heavier for this on short notice, Tom Aspinall, baby. <laughs> oh, Aspinall. Uh, over Pavlovich, the, the refrigerator uh, with arms attached. Taking Andrade over Mackenzie Dern. Taking, sorry for your ears, uh, taking... Steamroller, Matt Frivola over the God of War, Benoit Saint-Denis. I know, surprising there. We'll see if I can get the number I want for a play. Uh, taking Diego Lopes over my guy, Patty Sabs. I know, I'm a big Sabatini fan, but maturity is, uh, you know, picking and betting against fighters you like because, you know, uh, it, it makes sense. Um, probably taking Costa over Urseg, but not super confident. Still got to look into that matchup. Taking Godinez over Ricci. Uh, I'm going to take Rebecca over Ro Roosevelt Roberts. 
Going to take Sijikov, Nazim over Vyacheslav Boroshev, but probably staying away from that fight for sure. Taking Gordon over Matson. Uh, probably take Kang over Castaneda. I'm going to stay away. Van over Borjas. Um, we'll see if I take Bazooka over Emmers, but I agree with what Lucas said. It, it's dog or pass from a betting uh, perspective. So if I pick Emmers, I definitely won't be playing him. On Lopez, plus 10, 1.5 units. 1.5 units on Andrade, plus 170. Pereira money line, minus 115, 1.15 units for a unit return. Aspinall inside the distance, minus 110, 1.5 units. We'll see if I get to Frivola at a uh, plus 190 or better. We'll probably throw him in the round robin. Got uh, Pereira round two, plus 600, 0.33 is Scotty Pippen, as well as a Scotty Pippen on Pereira round three, plus 1100 is a potential bonus. Of course, Gordon, I'm eyeballing at plus 1300. I'll probably throw a Scotty Pippen unit on there. Probably throw Gordon round three in the round robin with some Andrade KO, um, with some Aspinall by sub, and maybe just the money line for Matt Steamroller for Vola. Uh, hit me at Dan Tom MMA on fight picks or on fight day to get all my picks and plays. I'm doing the uh, the bathroom dance here to get out of here. Luca, thank you again, man. At Luca Fury, at Dan Tom MMA. Enjoy the fights this weekend and always protect your necks.